Hello, friends. Before we dive into our episode this week, here is a quick promo for the Burden of Proof podcast. Gage and I absolutely adore them. Go give them a listen. You won't regret it. Okay, guys. Thanks for listening. I'm Savannah. And I'm Alicia. And we host Burden of Proof. A true crime podcast hosted by two paralegals. We are also a generation apart. I'm a Gen X. And I'm Gen Z. So you get both perspectives. If you love true crime and want to know more about what happens after the criminals get caught, then you will love Burden of Proof. We use our paralegal background to help break down the court cases, all while giving you the true crime that you know and love. Big cases, small cases, and everything in between. Give us a listen. Burden of Proof is available now on all major podcast platforms. guys my name is gage and my name is ray and you are listening to gore report a true crime podcast yes absolutely yeah welcome back for another episode welcome welcome we hope you're having a good day and a good week and, and a, a good, good life Ah, uh, always sharing that dumbass brain cell. <laughs> I never get tired of it. Me neither. And even though we just said welcome, if you're new here, we're going to say welcome two more times. Welcome, 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 welcome. If this is your first time tuning in with me and Ray, we would greatly appreciate it. If you would leave us a good review or a good rating from wherever you're listening, it really helps support the show and we appreciate it always. But only give us those stars if you feel like we deserve it. Absolutely. We don't want to deliver something that's subpar. Absolutely not. I'm not going to waste any time today. Oh, no. We're just going to, oh, we, we are just going to jump right in because there is a lot for us to get through. Mm -hmm. A lot, a lot, a lot. So for my case this week, I wanted to tell you guys about a case that has absolutely crushed me as a person, like absolutely just did me in absolutely I know. You've been kind of different this past week i started getting a little fucking worried what is going on i am telling you it has been rough i have shed many 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 tears over this case i have really put a good great amount of time into researching this yeah. i mean i do that with every episode but with this one i especially really wanted to just immerse myself in it because it's just i don't even know how to explain it it's almost like like the skylar niece episode like how it attached me. to that yeah. yes it's very much like the skylar niece episode our poor gage has been sequestered researching <laughs> and crying and I really calling have. me I'm telling you, this one did me in. This incident happened in 2021, mm -hmm. so it's a very recent case, and I've been following the case since it happened, but today we're going to be talking about the uh, Tristan Bailey case. I don't know anything about this case. Uh, It's 
insane. Tristan's case is pretty well known. It's definitely a high profile homicide case. Okay. Uh, so most of you listening are probably already familiar with the story. But for those of you that aren't familiar with Tristan's case, man, oh man, buckle in for this one. It is horrible. And there are more than a few pre-notes that I would like to give before we dive into everything. I have this whole little intro for us. It's going to be heavy, maybe possibly slightly depressing and gushy and very emotional because I don't know how to explain it. Like I said, this is just a case that I'm very emotionally invested in. And as I've followed it and as I've, you know, learned the events and the details and I've listened to the family's testimony, I've just kind of grown really, really, uh, Attached into a into a certain place that I don't know how to describe with this case. Tristan Bailey was only 13 years old when she was brutally murdered by her 14 year old classmate, Aiden Fucci. The impact that Tristan's death has had on her family and her community is something that I cannot put into words. Mm -hmm. The Bailey family has been through an unimaginable amount of pain and trauma due to the loss of Tristan, and they have fought so, so hard to bring Tristan the justice that she deserves. The Bailey family is truly one of the most incredible families that I've ever learned about, like period. They have a strength and a bond that is truly unlike anything that I've seen. It's absolutely incredible. So the Baileys, they have been incredibly outspoken when it comes to talking about Tristan. They are all very adamant about honoring Tristan's life and keeping her memory alive. So that's very much what my goal is today with my coverage of this case. I want to honor Tristan's life. I want to honor her and spread the word of just how incredible of a kid she was. I give my deepest condolences and my healing thoughts completely to the Bailey family, as well as Tristan's entire community. There are so many people that are still very much grieving today over her loss. You know, as I said a little earlier, I really wanted to put a great amount of care and tenderness into this episode. The events of this case did happen recently, again, just two years ago, and Aiden Fucci, the boy who killed Tristan, he just went to trial and was sentenced for this in April or March of this year, I think. So okay. it's very much still fresh. I actually waited to cover this case until after Aiden's trial because I wanted to see how things would pan out. Right. Um, and I also wanted to give you guys a complete coverage of Tristan's story. So now that the legal proceedings are over, I feel as if I can now do that. Right. Um, so going forward, if you haven't already gathered it, this case is incredibly heavy. I promise I'm just laughing out of anxiety. Tristan did not deserved to be brutally taken from this world and her family the way that she was. Yeah. Tristan was an incredibly vibrant soul. She was full of so much life and potential, and she brought an endless amount of joy to her family and her friends. She had a wonderful life ahead of her, and because of the events that unfolded on Mother's Day in 2021, Tristan will now never have the opportunity to live out that wonderful life with her loved ones. Damn. So before we officially dive into things, this is the gushy part I was telling everybody about. Right. I do want to take just a small moment to give all of you listening uh, a bit of wisdom, a little bit of fortune cookie advice, if oh, I may. Lord. Okay. Uh, but yeah, I just I want to give you guys something to think about as we progress through today's episode. Um, and that something is life is the most beautiful gift that we have, but it unfortunately does not last forever. Right. And we don't have any control over how long we're here on this earth. My message to all of you is to not take that for granted. You should cherish your brothers, your sisters, your nieces and nephews, your grandparents, your cousins, anybody you consider to be family, even if they're not blood. Uh, whoever you consider your family, cherish those people. Never miss a day to tell someone that you love them. 
I encourage all of you to go hug the shit out of someone you love right now and let that moment and that feeling wash over you because none of us are guaranteed tomorrow. Terrible things can happen to each and every one of us. Um, and I know that's depressing as fuck, but it is very much true. The story of Tristan Bailey is a story of unimaginable tragedy. The Baileys lost the baby of their family. They suffered the loss of a daughter, a sister, an aunt, a granddaughter, a confidant, and a best friend simultaneously. And someone who could have been a possible mother. Absolutely. Yeah. Tristan was such an incredible person. She had a very bright and vibrant life ahead of her. And I mean that with my whole heart. So as I said just a little bit ago, I am going to say it again one more time. My only goal for this episode is to give the utmost care, tenderness, and respect that I can possibly give. This episode is going to be about Tristan and not the piece of shit that savagely killed her. So now that all of that has been said, we can now dive into today's episode. Tristan Tyne Bailey was born to her parents, Stacy and Forrest Bailey, on January 18th, 2008 in Singapore. And Tristan was the youngest of five children. Oh, wow. Tristan's older sisters are Alexis, Brittany, and Sophia, and her older brother is Tegan. At the time that Stacy found out she was pregnant with Tristan, she and her family were living in Singapore. And according to Stacy, her pregnancy with Tristan definitely had some hurdles. Stacy said that she was convinced she was done having children after her first four, so Tristan was a bit of a surprise. <laughs> and Stacy said that being pregnant in a foreign country is definitely something that frightened her at first, mm -hmm. but she soon found herself in the hands of a medical team that took great care of her. So a doctor told Stacy during the beginning phases of pregnancy that there was a possibility that Tristan could have Down syndrome. The doctors also believed that they had found a hole in Tristan's heart. So this was very, very heavy news for Stacy and her family. Yeah. But Stacy and Forrest powered through for the rest of the pregnancy. They maintained high hopes, even though the stress and fear of the situation was very hard for them to deal with, I can imagine. And thankfully, on January 18th, 2008, Stacy delivered her fifth and youngest child, Tristan. And Tristan was completely healthy. It turns out nothing was wrong with her heart. She didn't have Down syndrome or any other health issues. And this was a miracle for Stacy and her family. That's awesome. So Tristan spent the first four years of her life in Singapore, and it became clear that she was someone truly special. According to Tristan's family, she loved to make her presence known, and she was definitely the type of person you'd want to have as a friend. Aww. Tristan had a very unique and powerful personality, and she showed maturity and wisdom in a lot of areas that was way beyond her years. Through my research, I read that Tristan often had heart-to-heart -heart conversations with the adults in her life. And she's only 12, 13 years old, but she's having these heartfelt, you know, convos with adults. Right. That's and I awesome. think that, yeah, I think it's a display of how comfortable Tristan made others. You know, yeah. she had this aura and this extremely kind energy that made others want to speak with her. You know, I 100% agree with Tristan's family. I definitely think that Tristan is the type of person that we'd all want to have as a friend. Truly, she was a light in this world. Tristan's spirit radiated with kindness, and she was known to befriend and stick up for those who couldn't stick up for themselves. In the words of her mother, Stacy, quote, she always had your back, end quote. Oh, man. So after Tristan spent the first four years of her life in Singapore, 
Her family then moved back to the States, and they settled in St. John's County, Florida. Were they like an army family or something? Like, I honestly don't think so. I'm not really sure what the reason was uh, with them living in Singapore. I think they were just traveling as a family, wanting to experience something new. I honestly am not sure I'm on so that part. I'm so jelly, by the way. Yeah, I can imagine that was quite the experience, honestly. So, as I just said, uh, the Bailey family, they settled in St. John's County, Florida. Uh, when Tristan and her family moved back to Florida, Tristan started attending the Patriot Oaks Academy located in St. John's County. And in 2021, when the events of this case took place, Tristan was a 7th grade student at Patriot Oaks Academy. God, just 7th grade. 7th grade. She was 13. She was still a baby. She was a baby. Absolutely. Man. So Tristan did exceptionally well in school. She was actually on the honor roll. And starting from a pretty early age, Tristan started displaying an intense passion and drive for cheerleading. And Tristan was an extremely talented cheerleader. She was just an all-around gifted athlete, if I'm being honest. Tristan was so dead set on becoming a cheerleader that she taught herself how to do splits, back bends, and walkovers, I think they're called. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but she taught herself how to do all of this just to prove to her mom that she could be a cheerleader. Yeah, those are not easy to learn either. I can imagine. Like, I can't even fucking hardly get up out of bed and put a shirt on without being winded. I was a cheerleader for two years. Oh, really? When I was younger. Really? Yeah, in uh, 1995 and 1996. I know, guys, I'm old. Don't remind me. But, <laughs> but yeah, when you're learning backbends and, and things like that, like it, it is very difficult to learn. But when you're younger, you have an advantage. Right. You know, but anyway. I think it's even more impressive, though, like she taught herself. Yes. Like she did it all on her own just to show her mom, hey, I can I can be a cheerleader and this is what I want to do. You know, it's crazy. Yeah, because I had to have my coach teach me. Right. So it, I think it's just again, it's a display of just how naturally talented Tristan was. Awesome. And when Stacy saw that drive in Tristan, when she saw that Tristan was teaching herself all of these routines and stuff, she just kind of caved in and Stacy began nurturing that drive. Stacy actually had a history of coaching dance and cheer, so she was already familiar with the cheer world. So, I mean, Stacy jumped right in with Tristan, nurturing her passion wholeheartedly, and Tristan did amazing with her cheerleading. She became a staple in her cheer community rather quickly, and if I'm not mistaken, Tristan even shared the title of cheer captain with one of her best friends. She made the captain of her team. Nice. Tristan absolutely gave cheerleading everything that she had and she was well on her way to competing in the summit competition which if i'm not mistaken i think that's like the super bowl of cheerleading pretty much oh yeah so she was well on her way to that and i believe with all of my heart that if tristan were here with us today i believe she would have won that competition yeah. i truly believe that she would have it's just how talented she was. I have no doubt about it. So something else to know about Tristan's family is that they are very close-knit. Tristan and her four other siblings were very, very close. Stacy and Forrest are fantastic parents. They are both extremely dedicated to raising their children, and they have excellent relationships with all of their kids. This family is just extremely loving, extremely supportive. It's it's really hard to put into words, like truly it is. As I've put this episode together and as I went on a little spiel earlier, it's moving. It is incredibly moving just how much love this family has. That's like the only way that I 
can put it into words. Yeah. All of Tristan's siblings and their parents collectively identify as the Bailey Seven. <laughs> and that's something you're going to hear a time or two through all of uh, the familial testimony that I have to play for you later in this episode. That's something that the Baileys make clear is that even though Tristan isn't physically with them anymore, they will still always be the Bailey Seven. Right. And again, it's just another thing that shows how close this family is. I personally believe they are some of the strongest and caring people that I've ever heard of in my life. If I'm being completely honest, this family did not deserve any of this. And Tristan did not deserve any of this. So moving forward, what I have next for all of you is the first audio clip of Minnie. And this audio is from Tristan's mother, Stacy Bailey, when mm -hmm. she and the rest of the Bailey family was speaking at a celebration of life event that was held in Tristan's memory shortly after she was murdered. If you'd like to watch the video version and listen to the entire thing, then I will leave a link in the show notes for you to do so. But uh, I just feel like it's very important that I share as much familial testimony as I can, because at the end of the day, Tristan's family knew her better than anyone. Right. So I felt that it would be appropriate for her family to tell us more about Tristan and the incredible human that she was. So, yeah, this clip is roughly six minutes long, and I'm going to play that for you now. My heart is broken. And it is devastated. But I made a promise to her today that I was going to keep her memory alive. I was going to make her name shine above all the evil that has happened. And from the goodness that has poured out from her friends, our families, our community, and across the world. I make that promise that I will do something good in her name. For those of you that were blessed to personally know her, you know what an amazing and fiery personality she had. And you can attest that she was the kind of friend that you would like to have. And she always had your back. Tristan's determination to be front and center was evident the day that she was born because she was the loudest one in the nursery. She was the only blonde one in the nursery and she, she was just, here I am, here I am. She had a drive in her soul to be the best and always give 100% to achieve her goals. A small story about her drive is when we put Tristan in swimming, thinking that this was an amazing sport and a life skill. And while she liked it, it was not her passion. So she moved on to lacrosse. Hmm. Let's talk about that. The realization that it's really, really hot in the outdoors in Florida. And this is not her thing either. But boy, did she want to cheer. I personally could not bear the thought of going back into the cheer and dance world as I knew the time and commitment that it took for me coaching cheer and her older siblings spending up to six hours a day at the cheer gym or the dance studios. But Tristan was determined to prove me, prove to me that she was going to be a cheerleader whether I liked it or not. From teaching herself how to do her splits, 
her backbends, her back walkovers, just to prove to me how much she wanted to be a cheerleader, I caved. And so it began. This is where her passion and, dr and drive grew to be the best she could be. Over the past couple of years, Tristan was always on all-star cheer and in school cheer. This is where she, or I'm sorry, this year, she shared team captain on her POA cheer team with one of her besties. It was a huge goal for her. As our all-star cheer family knows, Summit and Worlds is your goal. Tristan's ultimate goal was to be in one of these. While at Zone All-Star Cheer, her team achieved getting that bid, but it was sadly taken away from COVID. This past year, Tristan had switched gyms to Infinity All-Stars, and she became more determined than ever to make that goal happen. These girls from Majesty worked so hard and developed a bond that is unbreakable. They won their UCA cheer competition, and that dream came alive as they got the bid to compete at Summit. Tristan, you did it. You met your goal. Her drive and passion did not stop there. When she would hum come home after school, I was always given the tea of the day, and a lot of it because she had a lot to say. She spilled a lot of tea. I learned, I, I would sit here in amazement listening to some of her stories, and I learned she was the kind of friend that I would like to have. She always defended those who could not defend themselves. Some of you may not know it, but she was very sensitive, and she never wanted to disappoint anyone. Tristan cared deeply for her friends and always wanted to have as many friends as she could. And oh my goodness, she was so funny, you guys. So funny. She could be a silly teenager, but could have heart-to-hearts with an adult like she was an adult. And I think that she truly forgot that they were my friends, too. She tried to take them over. She was an honor roll student, determined to succeed academically, going as far as taking her first high school credit online this year just to get ahead in school. There are so many things I could share about this sweet girl, and in the future I will. Her TikTok, that's my squad, and you mess with one of us, you mess with all of us, because we are family. That holds true to every aspect in her life. We are forever changed as a family, but we will always be the Bailey Seven. For now, I will follow what Tristan has always said. Get it together. You got this, Mom. Always and forever, my cheerleader and my sweet baby girl. I don't really have oh, a whole lot of words. Yeah, um, it's 
as far it's, as how I feel about the clip, you know, but it's heartbreaking. It really is. I mean, it is. And, you know, it puts me in a different spot because I am a mother. Oh, yeah. You know, oh, and, yeah. Um, this case is going to be particularly hard for you because of that. I can imagine. Yeah. Um, so it, it's just like knowing knowing where the emotions come from and um, just recalling memories of her. Like, I recall memories of my kids, and, and they're, you know, turning 17 and 19 this year. And right, right. I, I still think of, you know, my four-year-old daughter trying to say, oh, another present. <laughs> you know? Oh, no, she was one. I'm sorry. She was so young. Oh, another present. Christmas time. Got to give her a present. Oh, look, another present. You know? And yeah. it's just when you think back on memories like that. It already makes you feel a certain type of way, but then to know that you'll never get to know the future child, like right. the future teen, the future woman, the future mother. Yeah, like you all know, you being being a being a grandmother from that child. You right, know? right. All you have left is the memories. Right. And it is incredibly heavy. And I think it also shows just how much Stacy loved Tristan and just how much her family how loved Tristan. She was, yeah. It's absolutely uh, incredibly moving. And it makes the events of this case that much more devastating. So now we're about to get into the details of the case. We're going to discuss what exactly happened to Tristan. Um, it's extremely sad. And there's nothing nice about it. Not at all. I've said it a hundred times, but this poor child did not deserve what happened to her. And I think Aiden Fucci is a fucking piece of shit. But, you know, we're not going to go on that tangent right now. Definitely not. Just want to put that out there. I think he's a little shit stain. <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, as Wait, I was saying. a little shit stain or a big skid mark? Honestly, those are too good for him. There are no words. There gotcha. are no fucking words. Gotcha. So, yeah, as I was saying, we're about to just uh, dive into the events of what exactly happened. So, I'm going to take us to Saturday, May 8th, 2021. I don't like this. Yeah, it's, I wish I could. Uh, just the date alone is just like, I don't want to hear anymore. <laughs> well, this is the day before Mother's Day. Uh, yeah. So Saturday, May 8th, 2021, that day was a relatively good and normal day for the Bailey family. That evening, the family had gone out for dinner. And then that night, they visited one of Tristan's adult sisters who had a new litter of Sphinx kittens. Oh, get out of here. <laughs> she really, really did. Uh, for those of you that don't know, Ray has a Sphinx, and his name is Sir Archimedes, and he's actually one of our mascots. So we love Sphinx kittens around here. They're yes. precious. Huh? Give me all the hairless babies. <laughs> precious, but boy, do they have attitudes. <laughs> it's like having a toddler around the house. So after hanging out and spending some time together at Tristan's sister's house, everyone said their goodbyes. Everyone was definitely a little tired from the day's events, you know. So Stacy and Tristan and the other siblings all returned home. No one knew that this was the last day that they'd spend with Tristan. Mm -hmm. So now we'll go to the following day, Sunday, May 9th, 2021, Mother's Day. That day, Tristan and her sister Sophia were supposed to make a special Mother's Day breakfast for Stacy. So that morning, Sophia got up and started preparing breakfast, and she noticed after some time that Tristan never came downstairs to help, as planned. So one of Tristan's other siblings went upstairs to her room to see if she was maybe sleeping in or something, mm -hmm. and Tristan was gone. She was nowhere to be found. <sighs> and this is when the horror set in for the Bailey family. What was supposed to be a beautiful, 
Mother's Day quickly turned into an absolute nightmare. So as soon as everyone realized Tristan was gone, Stacy and Tristan's siblings and her father all went outside, searched the immediate area. They're knocking on doors, asking neighbors to help. Stacy's in the street calling for people. It is just insanely. I could not imagine the panic that went through her. I just I couldn't imagine any of it. So it would be around 10 a.m. that Sunday morning that Stacy Bailey frantically called the police to report Tristan as missing. It was only 15 to 20 minutes after everyone realized that Tristan was gone that the 911 call was made. So there was no time wasted here. Right. Stacy and her other children noticed that Tristan's cell phone wasn't in her room. So Stacy, as well as Tristan's other siblings, kept calling Tristan's phone, but the calls were going straight to voicemail. Fuck. Stacy also noticed that the location services for Tristan's cell phone had been turned off. So none of this is looking good. As far as Stacy knew, Tristan had never snuck out of the house before. This was something that was extremely out of character for Tristan. Yeah. So this whole situation is just nightmare fuel. I mean, she's a 13-year-old that is exhibiting responsibility and character and you know all these things this is so out of character it's not something she was known to do and you know i've said it once i'll say it again i could not imagine how stacy and the rest of tristan's siblings felt that morning again this was mother's day yeah this was supposed to be a morning of celebration and breakfast and stacy getting to have that time with her children you know and then to wake up and discover that your youngest child is gone it absolutely breaks my heart to pieces it really does. So very quickly after Stacy's 911 call, the Florida Department of Law Enforcement became involved in the search for 13-year-old Tristan Bailey. One of Tristan's older sisters told the police that the last time she had seen Tristan, that she was in the garage around midnight the night before on a FaceTime call with who she described to be a white male wearing a backwards white baseball cap. So at around 2.30 p.m. Even sounds like a fuck boy. Right, right. But we'll we'll get into that. We'll save that for later. Yeah, yeah, okay. So at around 2.30 p.m. that day, St. John's County Sheriff's Deputy Kurt Hannon issued an emergency ping for Tristan's cell phone. And this ping result showed that the last time Tristan had used her phone was late the night before, so Saturday night. And she had sent a text message to someone. This text was sent to one of Tristan's classmates, a 14-year-old boy named Aiden Fuji. You know what's killing me? What's that? What was supposed to be a day for family and closeness turns into this nightmare all because it was just a regular fucking Saturday for this dude. It's pretty uh, fucking callous. And as we progress through the details, you're going to see just how fucking savage and how callous it truly is so at around 12 25 a.m that same night tristan also had an incoming call from aiden so with that information now gathered the police start interviewing people and they eventually interview a boy named trey and trey tells police that tristan and aiden were at his house hanging out with him around 12 30 a.m the night before mm. trey said that aiden and tristan hung out for a little bit then the two of them left together Trey also told police that Tristan was wearing a gray-black sweatshirt that had the pink brand logo on the front and black sweatpants. So now that police know that Aiden was the last person that Tristan texted, plus Trey's testimony confirming that Aiden and Tristan were together Saturday night, technically Sunday morning, the police now have their suspect. So did she actually sneak out to go to this party? Well, she didn't sneak out to go to a party. She snuck out to go hang out with Aiden. 
Yeah, Aiden I'm just sorry. Off. I thought yeah. it was a party. Yeah, well, they hung out at Trey's house, you know, did a little or whatever. Yeah. Uh, Tristan was just invited by Aiden to go hang out, so she did. Hmm. And that's what makes this so fucking sad. So as I just said, with all this information uh, with Tristan's phone records, Trey's testimony, they now have their suspect. So by 4.49 p.m. that same day, Mother's Day, a missing child alert was put out for Tristan, and police went directly to the home of Aiden Fucci to question him. Aiden tells police that he was indeed hanging out with Tristan the night before at Trey's house. Aiden says that he and Tristan left Trey's around 1 a.m., and then they walked down North Durban Parkway, where the two of them would then split off into separate directions, heading back towards their houses. Convenient. Convenient. Aiden then told police that he didn't make it back to his house until around 3.30 a.m., which immediately made police suspicious because Trey's house was only 1.4 miles away from Aiden's house. So what the fuck were you doing for two hours, Aiden? Right. That 1.4-mile distance would roughly be a 30- to 35-minute walk. So if Aiden is saying that he left with Tristan at around 1 a.m., then why did it take him over two hours to get home? Timeline does not make sense at all so when this officer uh, that was interviewing aiden asked him to clarify his timeline aiden changes his story of course this time around aiden says that he and tristan actually kept walking down north durban parkway for some time and at some point aiden said that tristan attempted to come on to him like Aiden said that Tristan tried to grab his junk. Get the fuck out of here. Which, right, Aiden, I'm sure she did. So Aiden goes on to say further that after Tristan tried coming on to him, that he forcibly pushed her down to the ground, causing her to hit her head on the concrete. Aiden then says that he just started walking in the other direction, not looking back one time to see if Tristan was okay or not. (sighs) Bless you. Allergic to bullshit? bullshit. <laughs> we just shared a pre-sale. Oh my goodness. That's what I'm screaming though. Um, Aiden also added that he was dizzy during all of this due to him smoking some marijuana over at Trey's house. And he also added oddly that Tristan could possibly be with a drug dealer that she knew who was in his 20s. First of all, she is not an extension cord as she is shown by her character. That is just fucking, I know it's insane. This little twat is coming up with excuse after excuse, but this was the story that he gave. So to cover his ass on the subject of why it took him two hours to get home, Aiden said that he walked around by himself for some time and then returned home at around 3.30 a.m. So after this questioning, police still didn't have anything concrete enough to arrest Aiden. But since they 100% believed that some sort of crime had taken place, a deputy did read Aiden his rights, which Mm -hmm. in turn made Aiden and his parents request a lawyer. They didn't want to talk anymore after that, which, okay, I guess in the situation requesting a lawyer, you know, fair, whatever. But that's just what happened. Even if even if you're innocent of it, still request a lawyer. Right, right. So, you know, can't really fault that too much. Right. But but your story's changed. And now, now you're requesting a lawyer. It's weird. And just and, and your timeline's fucked up. It ain't looking good. Premeditated as fuck. fuck. And we are going to for sure get into that. So it was only a little over an hour after police initially questioned Aiden that the search for 13-year-old Tristan Bailey would come to an end. Mm-hmm. And everything that comes after this is just uh, fucking unimaginable. I can't say that enough. So at 6.06 p.m. on that same day, Mother's Day, 
2021, a jogger named Daniel Hart called the police to report a dead body near a retention pond east of Saddlestone Drive, which was within the Durban Crossing neighborhood that Tristan lived in. And this jogger said that the body appeared to be the body of a young girl. So police very quickly responded to this call, and the scene that was found was something straight out of hell, Ray. Straight out of hell. The police came upon the dead body of a young girl with blonde hair laying on the grass. She was found lying on her right side. Her right leg bent slightly at the knee, and her left leg was also bent at the knee at a 90-degree angle. Her right arm was extended outwards onto the grass, while her left arm was bent at the elbow, causing her hand to touch her chin. Her blonde hair was matted with large amounts of blood, and she was wearing black sweatpants with a black and gray pink brand sweatshirt, which matches what Trey said he saw Tristan wearing when he saw her last. Also on this body, the word karma was written in blue ink on her left ankle, and she had a smiley face drawn on the inside of her right ankle. And it was very clear at first glance that this young girl had been viciously stabbed to death. I mean fucking viciously. She had several stab wounds all over her arms, hands, neck, head, and back. And it also appeared that she had been dead for less than 24 hours. So sadly, this body would be identified as 13-year-old Tristan Bailey, and she was pronounced dead on scene. The search for Tristan was called off soon after her body was found. Tristan's cell phone and a golden ring believed to have belonged to her were also found in the woods near where her body was discovered. And before we continue with the story, I just want to take a quick second to tell you just how savage and how monstrous this attack was. I just said quite literally a few seconds ago that Tristan was found with several, several stab wounds, right? Right. When Tristan's body went for an autopsy, the medical examiner found confidently that she was stabbed 114 times. Damn. 114. And we've talked about this before on other episodes, like the amount of rage or adrenaline or whatever running through your system to even have the stamina to stab someone that many times. It's, you know, it's hard to process. Right. It's hard to process. It really is. For another child to do that, it's what? It is absolutely insane. So get this 49 of those 114 stab wounds were on Tristan's head, arms, and hands. They were defensive in nature, meaning that this poor 13-year-old child was awake and conscious, fighting as hard as she could as she was being stabbed over and over and over and over and over 114 fucking times. Tristan also had 35 stab wounds to her head and neck, 29 stab wounds to her back and shoulders. Six of these 114 stab wounds were fatal wounds. This was absolute overkill in the most violent way imaginable. Both of Tristan's lungs were also collapsed as a result of her injuries. And after Tristan suffered being viciously stabbed to death, She was then left lying outside near a pond to die, choking on her own blood in the dark. She was only minutes away from her home and her family. There was also a lot of speculation in this case, people saying that Tristan was also sexually assaulted. But from what I researched, 
there was no evidence found by the medical examiner to support that. Okay, so, so those I, are just rumors? Those are just rumors. And there were a lot of rumors with this case when the facts came out. A lot of people saying that Tristan had been, you know, RAPED and sexually assaulted. But there was nothing found on her body to prove that. Her clothes weren't removed. She showed no signs of that whatsoever. It would be around 8 p.m. on the day that Tristan was found that the St. John's County Sheriff's Office would make the discovery of her body public. And soon after this announcement, neighbors of the Bailey family, as well as multiple other people from the surrounding areas, came forward with their security camera footage to see if anyone's camera had maybe spotted Tristan on the night that she vanished. And some of these cameras did in fact spot not only Tristan, but Aiden Fucci as well. Okay. So at around 1230 a.m., Tristan was spotted on a security camera walking by herself through the neighborhood. At 124 a.m., another surveillance camera captured Aiden and Tristan walking past the main entrance of the Durban Crossing North Amenity Center. Then at around 145 a.m., a residence camera picked up Tristan and Aiden walking east on Saddlestone Drive towards a pond. Aiden was wearing a light-colored hoodie with white Nike shoes and Tristan was wearing a gray and black colored sweatshirt with black pants, which, again, matches up with what Trey said that Tristan and Aiden were wearing when he saw both of them yeah. last. Then at around 3.30 a.m., that same residence camera that had captured Aiden and Tristan walking together toward the pond, that same residence camera captured Aiden running back in the opposite direction of where he was walking with Tristan roughly two hours earlier. And Aiden was alone when he ran back. Tristan wasn't with him. He had his white Nike shoes in his hands, and he ran back to his house. So after seeing all of this video evidence, police immediately go and get Aiden and his parents to bring them all in for questioning. He had his shoes in his hands? Yeah, he was running with his shoes. Evidently, his feet hurt. We learned that later, but you know, yeah, he had his shoes in his hands. Okay. So another incredibly chilling piece of information I want to throw in, too. Uh, when police were interviewing friends of Aiden, more than one person told the police that Aiden had actually been telling people that he wanted to know what it felt like to kill someone. Aiden Fucci was telling other kids that he was going to lure someone in the woods so that he could stab them to death. Man, listen. Right. Hear something, see something, say something, please. No one took him seriously. And like you just said, I cannot stress that enough. If you hear someone talking about how they want to go into the woods with someone and stab them to death, whether you think that's a joke or not, maybe you should say something. Right. Maybe you should take that, you know, seriously. Like, I, I, I don't know. I don't know how I would react in this situation. I've never been around someone claiming that they're going to go brutally murder someone else. That's but not normal. It's not normal, but it's just chilling. You should 100% say something. And no one said anything in this case, obviously. So Aiden was telling other kids he was going to lure someone in the woods. He was going to stab them to death. He also said numerous times that he was going to go through with his plan within 30 days. He gave himself a 30-day time period, what basically. What the fuck? And still nobody said anything. No. Which, <sighs> the whole thing with Aiden talking about, I'm going to murder someone in 30 days, well, according to the timeline of witness testimony alongside the actual events of the crime, that's exactly what he did. God. He did. He did kill Tristan within 30 days. So 
it's fucking chilling. Uh, this 14 year old boy just openly bragging and telling other kids about how he can't wait to take someone into the fucking woods and stab them to death. Like what just kind of fucking psychopath, like plans the day to, I mean like, okay, premeditation, I get it, but normally killers don't sit there and plan it. Like it's on a fucking scheduler, you know, like, like it's crazy. Oh, it's really fucking crazy. Days. And he's 14. What the fuck is that? Uh, Aiden's girlfriend who I'm not naming she also came forward and told police that Aiden told her that he would hear voices in his head telling him to kill when he was angry. And evidently, he would also surprise her, quote unquote, surprise her by running up behind her and wrapping his arm around her neck, pretending to like hold a knife at her throat like it was a joke to him. So, yeah, this little See, fucking that has red flags all over this it. Little, Nobody said right. Anything. This little fucking twat. Has a fucking screw loose, some clearly. People just, some people are just too scared to say anything. Oh, yeah. I also, let me tell you, I almost forgot about this part, but according to his classmates as well, Aiden had nicknames for two knives that he would carry around with him all the time. He named them Picker and Poker. Ew. Right. So when Aiden is in the back of the cop car to go to the station to get questioned for all of this, he takes a Snapchat photo, and this is a piece of evidence in this case that went extremely viral. Aiden takes a Snapchat photo of himself. He's like in the back of the car holding up a peace sign, and he captions the photo with, quote, Hey, guys, has anybody seen Tristan lately? End quote. And he spelled anybody, I-N-Y-B-O-D-Y. Like, what kind of deranged, sadistic shit is that? Like, in my opinion... That shows a complete lack of remorse and a complete lack of sympathy for the situation at hand. Like, Aiden, your friend and classmate is missing, and you're over here seemingly trying to get clout for being in a cop car, and you're nonchalantly asking people, oh, hey, has anybody seen Tristan lately? When you know good goddamn well you were the last person with her. Like, I cannot. This little twerp pisses me off I've beyond belief. i sitting here in silence the whole fucking time, because, like, what? It's insane. What? It is insane. It Snapchat, is deranged. What? So continuing on, when Aiden and his parents got to the station to be questioned, it was around 8.49 p.m. Him and his parents were left alone in a interrogation room, and when Aiden's mother told him that Tristan was found, Aiden asked, quote, is she good? What? And his mother responded by saying, no, Aiden, she's not. She's dead. And they know you were the last person with her. This is kind of important. And Aiden's response to this was, quote, and how is that my problem? End quote. <sighs> yeah, it's insane. It's fucking insane. So as the questioning continued, police had already obtained a search warrant for Aiden's house. And when this search was executed around 1240 a.m., officers found some pretty questionable evidence. Investigators found a Buck brand knife sheath a pair of wet white Nike shoes with blood splatter on them, a t-shirt with blood on it, a white piece of paper with handwriting that possibly had blood on it, and a pair of wet blue jeans and a laundry basket. Police also found both blood and dirt on the drain in the bathroom sink next to Aiden's bedroom, like in the bathroom next to his bedroom. And in Aiden's bedroom, officers found a notebook that belonged to Aiden that contained very violent and disturbing imagery. 
One of Aiden's drawings depicted a female figure with red slashes over her breast and genitals, and her arm appeared to have been severed with uh, blood coming out. So the police would describe Aiden's drawings as, quote, satanic and extremely violent in nature, end quote. So, yeah, it's not really looking good for Aiden, not looking good for him. And while Aiden's house was being searched, police were also diving into the pond near where Tristan's body was found. They were searching for the murder weapon, a possible murder weapon. And after diving for days, the police finally recovered a large knife from the pond. And this knife was identified as the murder weapon because the tip of this knife was missing. And the tip of this knife was found by the medical examiner. It was lodged in Tristan's scalp. Tristan was stabbed so violently in her head that the knife broke in her scalp. Jeez. So by 3.30 a.m. on the morning of May 10th, 2021... 14-year-old Aiden Fucci was arrested and charged with second-degree murder in the death of Tristan Bailey. And it would be later that same day that police made Aiden's arrest in connection to Tristan's murder public. That night, a candlelight vigil was held in honor of Tristan at the Patriot Oaks Academy. Everyone in attendance wore aqua-colored t-shirts because that was Tristan's favorite color. She loved aqua. Tristan's cheer team also spoke at this vigil, and they uh, released aqua-colored balloons for their teammate. It is just very heartbreaking. Uh, You know how horribly this murder devastated this family and this entire community. Literally the day after she was found, this whole community came together and just grieved. And it's Mm. just, it's absolutely just, there's no words for it. I'm telling you. So now we're going to get into the court proceedings for Aiden. And I'm going to pre-note this. It may seem like I'm skipping over just a little bit. I can assure you that I'm really not. I didn't really want to spend a lot of time making this episode about Aiden and what he went through with his court trials. I just didn't feel the need to make this about him. I wanted to make it about Tristan, Mm -hmm. how her family was directly affected by this, what they went through, what her community went through. As I said in the beginning, I don't want to make this about Aiden, but I am going to include, you know, the very important parts that I felt were important Mm -hmm. uh, in my timeline of the court proceedings. So we're about to get into that. On May 28th, 2021, Aiden had his first court appearance hearing. And at this hearing, the judge declared that Aiden would be held without bail in an adult facility in St. John's County while the investigation was still ongoing. It's also decided at this hearing that Aiden will not be facing the death penalty due to him being under the age of 18. But he is, however facing a maximum sentence of life imprisonment without the possibility of parole or life imprisonment with the possibility of parole after 25 years. It's also decided at this time that Aiden will be facing a first-degree murder charge instead of a second-degree murder charge, and he's going to be tried as an adult. So they upgraded his charges from second-degree murder to first, which they needed to. This was nothing short of first-degree premeditated murder nothing short of that on june 3rd 2021 aiden entered a plea of not guilty to the charge of first degree premeditated murder and uh now get this shit another wild ass twist in this case okay so two days after that on june 5th crystal smith aiden fuji's mother was arrested on a warrant for tampering with evidence oh shit police found On Crystal's own home surveillance camera footage that hours after the murder of Tristan, when Aiden was initially being questioned by police, 
Crystal had Aiden's bloody blue jeans in the sink, washing them. She was washing Aiden's pants, trying to wash the blood off of them. They caught her on video doing this. Did she know? I honestly don't know. I don't know why else she'd be hand-washing jeans in the sink. I mean, it's just fucking weird. These were the same bloody jeans that were found by police in a laundry basket when the home was initially searched. So, yeah, there's that. And on July 26th, 2021, Crystal Smith pleaded not guilty to her charges. And I'm just going to leave her situation where it is for the time being. But don't forget about Crystal, okay? Because she's okay. De- she's not done appearing in this story. So oh, I'm just going to leave that where it is for now. I mean, you would think she would have to know all that blood. I mean, I'm telling you. In August of 2021, the surveillance video evidence from the cameras that captured Aiden and Tristan walking together was released to the public, as well as another chilling Snapchat video that Aiden made while in the back seat of the patrol car. So this video, the best way that I know how to describe it, because obviously I can't play a video for you clearly, but... He's sitting in the back of the cop car with his friend, and his friend has the phone held like this, you know, classic selfie video position. And Aiden's like, oh, yeah, having fun in the back of a fucking cop car, just acting like he's annoyed and aggravated with the situation. And then he talks about, like, Tristan, uh, you know, you walked out the damn, like, y'all capping, bro. Y'all are tripping. Like, he's just being so yeah yeah fuck boy tendencies fuck boy tendencies and i mean in context to the situation we're getting more into it but like it's chilling as fuck how callous he is about it so if you guys would like to go see that video it is very very easy to find on youtube you can just click you know or search aiden fucci i'm sure you'll find it it's chilling as fuck so he makes this video in the back of the car this video was also released and again i think it shows no sympathy no remorse uh no nothing other than complete disregard and disrespect like this kid is fucking deranged and the video of crystal smith washing aiden's bloody jeans was also released with the rest of the video evidence oh god now on september 1st 2021 aiden made another court appearance for a virtual pre-trial hearing with judge lee smith presiding And this hearing didn't exactly go as planned (laughs) because Aiden sat through the whole thing while rocking back and forth in his chair, staring off into space and whispering to himself repeatedly, quote, I won't let you demons take my soul away. I know you demons killed my soul, end quote. Okay, that is a weak ass attempt at trying to get an insanity plea. Right. That is a weak ass fucking attempt. (laughs) Aiden also kept asking repeatedly where he was and what was going on, and he kept asking to talk to his mom. He was just acting completely fucking out of it, uh, trying his best to appear insane. And just like you said, many, many people, myself included, believe that this was a fucking show. Um, (laughs) I don't have any audio to share with you from this incident, but like I said with Aiden's other Snapchat video, this is really easy to find online. Um, I actually think I'll leave a link in the show notes for this specific video if you guys would like to go and see that. But yeah, it's crazy. So on July 25th, 2022, Aiden's defense team requested that the trial be put back and this motion was granted. The trial was now at this point set for November of 2022. But on August 19th, 2022, 
Another extension was granted because the lead prosecutor in the case, Jennifer Dutton, mm. was working on a double homicide death penalty case in Putnam County. Oh, damn. Yeah, so the extension was granted to give everyone enough time to adequately prepare for the trial, basically. And this extension set the trial for February of 2023. Now, on February 23rd of 2023, jury selection was set to begin in preparation for the upcoming trial. But on this day, the same day that the jury was to be picked, mm -hmm. Aiden changed his plea from not guilty to guilty. And this waived his right to a jury trial. And it practically sends everything directly to the sentencing phase. So, and this is where we're going to get into Aiden's sentencing trial. It just took place three months ago. And this trial was extremely emotional for many reasons right. uh, and obvious reasons. The Bailey family, as well as Tristan's entire community, had waited two long, agonizing years for this trial. And through this trial, all of Tristan's immediate family, her siblings and her parents, her grandparents, and even Tristan's cheerleading coach were all given the opportunity to read victim impact statements to the court. And it is some of the most heartbreaking and the most powerful testimony that I've ever listened to mm. in my life. And for this section of the episode, I've actually gathered the victim impact statements from all of Tristan's siblings and from her mother, Stacy, for us to listen to. Okay. I feel like it's extremely necessary to include because it really puts into perspective just how horrible and how traumatic Tristan's murder was on her family and her community. You're going to get the firsthand account directly from the people that knew and loved Tristan. Um, it's definitely a good bit of audio, but... We're going to listen to the impact statements one at a time. Um, again, they're just very heavy. I've cried many times listening to these impact statements. Uh, I'm going to be including Tristan's cheerleading coach's impact statement as well as the familial statements, just because I feel like it shows the ripple effect that it caused. Right. You know, not only did it devastate Tristan's family, but it also devastated her community, her classmates, her teachers, her friends, her cheer team. It just absolutely destroyed everyone. And again, I just really think the best way to convey to all of you the gravity of the situation is to let you hear it from the mouths and hearts of the people that loved and knew Tristan. So Aiden Fucci's sentencing trial officially began on Tuesday, March 21st, 2023 at the St. John's County Courthouse with Judge R. Lee Smith presiding. And the first two days of the trial was filled with absolutely heartbreaking and gruesome testimony from not only Tristan's family, but the medical examiner as well. Mm -hmm. James Fulcher, the medical examiner for Volusia County, took the stand to describe to the court just how horrific Tristan's injuries were. Autopsy photos were shown to the judge and the attorneys, but were not visible to the rest of the courtroom, which, thank goodness, Tristan's family did not have to suffer seeing those photos. I could not imagine. Yeah. But James described in detail just how horribly Tristan's body was mangled from the 114 stab wounds that she endured. Man. He even described the 49 defensive wounds that were on Tristan's arms and hands. He testified that these wounds beyond a shadow of a doubt, proved that Tristan was awake and conscious for the entirety of the brutal attack. None of her wounds were post-mortem. It proved that Tristan was alive and fighting as hard as she could until the point that she didn't have the strength to do so anymore. And even after she reached that point, Aiden kept stabbing her. 
I'm not going to be playing the audio from James's testimony, but I will be including a link in the show notes if you would like to go and listen to it for yourself. Like if you want to listen to the full medical examiner testimony, check those show notes. I will have them for you. I but, hope uh, someone inside fucking stabs him so same, he knows what it feels like. Same, like, 114 fucking times. Right. You know, people in people in prison, they don't they don't like people who kill children. And he is no different at that point. So pretty sure someone on the inside is going to take care of that. Yeah, it, it's pretty fucking bad. One of the next to testify was the state attorney for the prosecution, Jennifer Dutton. And her testimony really reiterated some powerful points of evidence and observation in the case as a whole. Mm-hmm. I'm also going to be leaving a link in the show notes if you would like to go and listen to Jennifer's testimony. But uh, I'm going to give an extremely simplified version. Jennifer testified that this case was extremely different from other youth homicide cases for a number of reasons. She testified that the crime that Aiden committed was not a crime committed because of lack of maturity. She testified that youths often will take risks and partake in risky behavior without thinking of long-term consequences, which is true. Right. But she said in the case of Aiden Fucci, this was not the case. She said that Aiden would oftentimes at school diffuse a situation in which he knew he'd get in trouble by removing himself and going to vent to the school officer, Dean. So Jennifer stated that this showed that Aiden understood and grasped consequences for his actions. She said that he knew how to remove himself from a situation that was going to get him in trouble. He knew how to diffuse it. And he was in this situation because he put himself there. Exactly. Jennifer went on further to say that how Aiden acted after he killed Tristan was further evidence of how he understood right from wrong. Right. After stabbing Tristan to death, Aiden ran home with his shoes in his hands. His own home surveillance camera showed him sneaking back into his house, sneaking up to his room where he hid his bloody shoes and T-shirt behind his dresser. And then he showered for some time, washing evidence off of his body. Aiden knew that he had just done something wrong and he was trying his damnedest to sneak around and cover it up. And on top of that, he lied over and over about what happened. This exceeds a typical case of a youth being a youth. Right. Aiden's actions were far too calculated. I mean, we all make mistakes when we're younger, but not mistakes like this. Not fucking like this. This is not a mistake. Jennifer also testified that in most cases where youths commit particularly violent crimes, You can go back and study their life to find that they've suffered from poverty or some sort of violent abuse at the hands of a family member. There's something environmental that can contribute to the crime, right? But not in the case of Aiden Fucci. Jennifer also testified that Aiden and his brothers grew up in a very loving and supportive home. Even though Aiden's parents were separated, they still co-parented very effectively. And so the words, what the fuck? Exactly. In the words of Aiden's grandmother, quote, he was very spoiled, end quote. And his brothers felt the same way about growing up in this environment. So that's another aspect to this that's absent. Sounds like it. I mean, no cat, man. I'm telling the you, fuck? Aiden hasn't suffered any kind of maltreatment or abuse from anyone. He's always been spoiled and loved and cared for. So all these things combine make Aiden's case highly unusual and different from the majority of violent crimes committed by juveniles. Yeah, and you can no longer talk about nature versus nurture here either. Because there's none of that. There's none. It, there's none of that. It, it is brutal. It's insane. It, it's like it came from nowhere. So Jennifer also went on to testify about Aiden's absurdly violent behavior while in jail. 
Aiden had been threatening other inmates, correctional officers, and their families by saying he would kill them. Aiden also bragged in prison, saying that everyone else in there with him was a uh, P word. That's a synonym for coward that I don't want to say on this podcast. But yeah, he was saying all these people were "Mm -hmm," because they were all in there for shooting someone while he was a real man who, quote, killed a bitch by stabbing her face to face, end quote. How about fuck you, guy? Right. Right. He was. How about eat shit and fucking die? Using his crime to manipulate, control, and assert dominance over other people. Oh, you're in here because you shot somebody. I stabbed a bitch to death. Like that type shit. I hope. (laughs) I hope and pray. I just saw your face, bitch. I know what you're saying. I hope and pray that that motherfucker always has wet socks. I I hope and pray that that motherfucker is always constipated. You always have the hot side of the pillow. Like, I just wish everything wrong for you. Just everything wrong. The largest of pineapples to be shoved in his ass in hell. Right. Right. (laughs) Um, um, plume first. Not the rounded end first. You gotta go plume first. So two others that testified uh, were forensic psychologist Dr. Stephen Bloomfield and state-picked psychologist Dr. Gregory Pritchard. Dr. Pritchard testified that, yes, Aiden was indeed a juvenile and that lens of perspective needs to be considered. However, Dr. Pritchard said that Aiden Fucci possesses personal dynamics and personality features that make him extremely unusual and highly dangerous. Dr. Pritchard expressed that he had clinical concerns that something was seriously wrong with Aiden. Dr. Pritchard also touched on Aiden's seemingly extreme obsession with death and murder in particular, referencing that Aiden had told his girlfriend that after he killed someone that he was going to not only cover it up, but he was going to keep killing. So, yeah. And Dr. Bloomfield gave a very similar testimony, pretty much backing up everything that Dr. Pritchard had to say. Please tell me that they're not using this as a, like, a, you see, he's insane kind of thing. No. Okay, good. No, 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 not at all. They're actually using it in the opposite context to be like, this kid is just fucking cold calculated. He knew what he was doing. There's something wrong with him. We don't exactly know how to explain it because of how unusual it is. Good, because I'm so worried about that because every time, you know, it's like, oh, there's a mental illness somewhere. No, no, no. No, you're just a piece of shit that killed somebody. Well, speaking on the mental illness part, Dr. Bloomfield, as I said, he gave very similar testimony, pretty much backing up everything that Dr. Pritchard said. Uh, Dr. Bloomfield also agreed that Aiden had a huge problem with authority and that the actions he displayed following the events of Tristan's murder were nothing short of cold and callous. Dr. Bloomfield also testified that he believed in his professional opinion that Aiden was not suffering from any sort of personality disorder or mental health disorder. Good. Good. Because, you know, I didn't I didn't want what I say a second ago to be misconstrued. I mean, obviously, we've covered cases where mental illness is a factor. And there's other factors, you know, whatever, but not here. But not here. Not in this case. No, absolutely not. So going forward on day two of the trial, Wednesday, March 22nd, 2023, Mm -hmm. the family members of Tristan Bailey were brought to the stand to read their victim impact statements for the court. 
They were all wearing Tristan's favorite color, Aqua, to show their unity and support for Tristan. And as I said earlier, you know, we are going to be listening to these statements, but I do want to give a very small uh, pre-note before we dive into this. Uh, For this episode, I've included the testimony of Alexis Bailey, Tegan Bailey, and Brittany Bailey. Tristan's sister, Sophia, did not write an impact statement. I've also included Brianna Cherry's victim impact statement. She was Tristan's cheerleading coach. Um, Again, I just feel like it really puts into perspective the community trauma from this incident. Tristan was loved by so many people that were not in her immediate family. You know, she had best friends and a cheer family and her reach extended way past her family. So I feel like Brianna's statement really encompasses that just a little bit. And lastly, I've included Stacey Bailey's impact statement, uh, Tristan's mother. Her father, Forrest Bailey, and Tristan's grandmother also read an impact statement, but I did not include those today uh, in this episode. And I was very conflicted about that decision Yeah, because I don't want to come across like I'm saying, you know, some of the family's testimony is more important than the others. Let me put these in and not the others. And it's not like that at all. Uh, If anything, I was just trying to be mindful of episode length. You know what I'm saying? So. I am going to be leaving links in the show notes for you guys. If you would like to go listen to Tristan's father uh, and Tristan's grandmother's impact statements, I'm going to have all of that in the show notes. So I just wanted to give that little bit. Right. So the first audio we're going to listen to is Brianna Cherry's impact statement. Again, she was Tristan's cheerleading captain, and she was brought to the stand before Tristan's family members were. And also, as I said earlier, keep in mind, we're going to be breaking these impact statements down one at a time so we can absorb everything and kind of take a breath in between each audio because it's about to be excruciatingly uh, heavy and emotional. So I want us to have time to just breathe and talk about things before we go into the next one. So, All right. Uh, so let us prepare, people. Let us prepare. Deep and deep breath out. <sighs> I'm going to play Brianna's impact statement for you now. Bree Cherry. Right. Ms. Cherry, go ahead and have a seat in the witness stand. Make yourself comfortable and try to speak into that microphone, okay? Yes, sir. All right. <clears throat> and Ms. Cherry, before you just read your letter, for the record, state your name and your relationship to Tristan Bailey. Yes, um, my full name is Brianna, B-R-E-A-N-N-A, last name Cherry, um, and I was Tristan's all-star cheerleading coach. Okay, and you can go ahead and read your letter. Good afternoon, Your Honor. Um, As I just stated, my name is Bree Cherry, and I was Tristan Bailey's all-star cheerleading coach. Um, I've always referred to my athletes as my cheer children because that's what they are. During peak season, I would spend more time with my cheer children than I did my own biological ones at home. In the cheer world, not only do these kids become yours, but these teammates become family. They spend countless hours in the gym, forming a sisterhood through blood, sweat, tears, hugs, high fives, and hit zeros, which is when they hit a perfect routine. It's an unbreakable bond we all experience in a community like no other. I tell you all this so you can get a small grasp of what Tristan meant to her coaches, her gym, and her cheer sisters. There's nothing in the coach's handbook that could have ever prepared me for what I would face on the horrific day that was May 9, 2021. 
I was in Orlando, Florida, coaching at the Cheerleading Worlds for just one week before. I stood in the exact same spot with Tristan as she competed at the summit. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> okay. Um, the summit was the Super Bowl of cheerleading for Tristan's team and age group. We were on top of the world after having an incredible showing at the biggest competition of the year. We were so excited for the future of these young athletes and all of the incredible talent we would be starting the new season with. Then one week later, our lives changed forever and not for the better. Aiden Fuji selfishly took Tristan away from so many people who loved and needed her. Our team lost its leader. These athletes lost their sister. And I lost a piece of my heart that I'm, I'll never be able to get back. I, I wrote this letter to speak out for myself, but to also speak on behalf of Tr Tristan's cheer sisters, whose lives will never be the same. Tristan's teammates' ages ranged from eight years old to 13 years old. And the impact didn't just stop at Tristan's teammates and coaches. You see, we had 200 athletes in our gym, and those athletes have siblings, parents, aunts, cousins, grandparents, etc. All of these people make up our gym family. When you have the heart and the personality that Tristan did, your impact stretches far beyond those in your immediate corner. We all gathered to grieve and the image of these kids on their knees screaming and sobbing as no adult could console them will be etched into my memory forever. In the days to come, not only are we mourning the loss of Tristan, but we're forced to hear the horrific details of what happened to this person we love so much. How do you tell an eight-year-old child it's going to be okay when they have to hear from the world around them that she was brutally murdered by her schoolmate? It's our job to protect our children. And due to the nature of this crime, there was no way to hide these details from these babies. These details will continue to haunt each and every one of us on a daily basis. There is nothing we can do to fix the hurt, remove the fear, or bring Tristan back. And unfortunately, as these kids get older, the pain will only become more severe as they bring their own children into the world and try to protect them from evil. I come to the court pleading for the maximum sentence for Aiden Fucci. Even more, I beg and plead that the person reading this letter 25 years from now will think about all these kids and what they have been through. The complete fear and terror we would all feel knowing the complete fear and terror we would all feel should any sort of release ever be considered. The Bailey family and each and every person who knew and loved Tristan has endured enough. Because of his age, Aiden Fucci cannot receive the death penalty. He gets a chance at life. Tristan didn't get that chance. The years will go on for him, but our reality is that this horrific nightmare will never end. Our hearts will break every single day for the rest of our lives because Tristan is no longer here. Thank you for your time and consideration now and in the heartbreaking years to come. Tristan Bailey Strong. Thank you, Your Honor. So, you know, she has some really good points there. Some definitely, definitely good points. It's it's powerful. Like the fear that everybody would feel should he be released. 
right. knowing that he's already stated that he would kill again. That he wanted to kill again and right. that he would have very yeah. much kept doing it. It's, it's chilling as fuck. Yeah. I mean, it's just incredibly heavy. Like I said before that clip, it really shows how the ripple effect of this murder goes so much further than just her family. Yeah. Tristan's cheermates were fucking traumatized. As you heard, you know, her cheer captain, Brianna, just crying. Their their team lost their captain. Yeah. We lost a cheer sister. And I lost a piece of my heart that I'll never get back is uh, what she said. It just absolutely crushes me. It's it's excruciating. Yeah. It is absolutely excruciating. I myself have experienced being in a sisterhood where you take care of each other. You, you see each other every day. You look out for each other's backs. You know, that type of situation. And then I lost a friend of mine. But that feeling that you feel, knowing that you had that type of connection with that person and they are no longer there, it does hurt every day. It's, it, I can it imagine does. it's a wound that never closes. You know, because you, you sit back and you think about the memories that you have with this person and they're not around to be able to tell them, hey, man, I miss you. It's, and, it's and that's horrible. real. It's really, know? really horrible. And as we go forward, it's only going to be increasingly more excruciating. Just, you know, bear with us. <laughs> bear with us for sure. Next, we're going to get into the impact statements of Tristan's siblings and her mother, Stacy. Mm -hmm. And I want to give you guys another quick note before we continue. Just a little bit of context before you listen to these next four statements. Uh, Tristan's second oldest sister, Alexis Bailey, was the first of Tristan's siblings to give her statement. And she carried with her to the stand a jar and a bag containing 114 aqua-colored stones. So Alexis starts her impact statement by placing these 114 stones in the jar, one at a time, to represent each of the 114 stab wounds that Tristan had to suffer. That's powerful. And you guys, listening to these stones being dropped in this jar 114 times... It really puts it into a horrifying perspective, yeah. just what Tristan went through. It's agonizing to listen to. And at the end of her impact statement, Alexis placed one white stone in the jar with the 114 aqua ones to represent something that she lost the day that Tristan was murdered. And as we go through each impact statement... Every one of Tristan's family members will drop one white stone into the jar at the end of their statement, representing something that was lost when they lost Tristan. It is extremely powerful, Damn. extremely sad, um, extremely moving. I just wanted to give that little bit of context before we go further, you know, listening to all of this. I want you to know what's going on when you hear the stones and, you know, just all of that. And I what just, an amazing way to paint a picture for the people that are surrounding you. Right. Every, like the room, I can just imagine the room going completely silent. It did. And it absolutely did. Wow. It absolutely did. So, with that being said, I'm going to play Alexis Bailey's impact statement now. Perfect. My name is Alexis Bailey. I'm Tristan's second oldest sister. And just for the court's aware, if you would tell the court the order of the, the 
So my oldest sister is Brittany Bailey. Um, again, I'm Alexis Bailey. I'm the second oldest sister, followed by my brother Tegan Bailey, Sophia Bailey, and then Tristan was the youngest of the family. Okay, go ahead. Thank you. One hundred and fourteen. Of course. This jar now holds 114 stones, one for each of the 114 stab wounds that my sister had to endure. It was one hour and 42 minutes between when my sister was last seen and when Aiden Fucci was next seen, running out of the woods holding his shoes because his feet hurt. It's funny that such a simple statement can bring such anger. Aiden Fucci could show compassion for his sore feet, yet had nothing to leave for my beautiful sister. The number of questions I have for Aiden Fucci surrounding that night plague my mind. Did she see you coming at her with the knife? Or did you stab her while she wasn't paying attention? Did she scream out for help? Or was she para paralyzed with agony? Did she cry for my mother? Did she beg you to stop? Did you hear her lungs gargling with blood? Or did you see it in her face when she realized she could no longer breathe due to her collapsed lungs? What were her last words? Did you stay to watch her die? Or did you leave her there in agonizing pain as you ran away? How long did she suffer? Did you watch the life leave her eyes? Do you know the answer to any of these questions? Or were you too caught up in the thrill of the kill? The last time I heard my sister's voice was May 8th, 2021. 
I have racked my brains trying to remember the last words she said to me. Was it I love you? Was it goodbye? Or did we say nothing at all? What I do remember is her walking out that door. I have nightmares about that moment. In my dreams, I try to reach out and grab her, beg her to spend the night, anything to prevent what happened just hours later, yet every time the door closes before I can get to her. The memories of May 9th will forever be ingrained in my mind, body, and soul. To know I was awake and only 11 minutes away from my sister as she was being brutally murdered. Could I have saved her? I remember the vivid feelings of my body collapsing on the ground as the police informed us that they had found a body. Then, finding out hours later it was Tristan's body, I remember becoming physically ill and having a detective grip my hair as my body uncontrollably expelled everything from my stomach between my sobs. The pain I felt in every nerve as I watched my dad lying on the floor, screaming in a way no human should ever be able to produce. Our family broke that day, and I don't recognize any of us anymore. I have watched my parents going from believing that they were good parents to believing they were failures. I have listened to my parents question, what did we do wrong? What kind of mother or father was I not to protect my child? I have watched them overanalyze every conversation, every action, trying to figure out what they could have done differently. I've watched my older sister, Brittany, become unrecognizable with anger. I've watched my brother, Tegan, emotionally shut down and avoid the family due to the pain being home causes. I've watched my younger sister, Sophia, completely lose her childhood and be cast into the role of being a parent and being the resident therapist for my mother. I've seen the changes in myself, the responsibilities and burden that I have had to undertake because of the actions of Aidan Fucci. I am the one who had the responsibility of speaking with the funeral home and forcing my parents to decide which urn to put the, what remained of Tristan in. I was the one who had to pick her up from the funeral home and make that long drive home with her ashes. I have what remains of her beautiful blonde hair now stained red, sitting in my house, haunting me daily. I have had to become the safe place for my parents and hold space for their feelings. I have had to commit every detail of Tristan's murder to memory so that whenever someone has a question, they need only ask and not be burdened with looking up the answers themselves through the hundreds of pages of court documents and police records. I bear the thoughts that one day the trauma we have all been through because of the actions of Aiden Fucci will cost the lives of my other family members. I have been diagnosed with depression, anxiety, post-traumatic stress disorder. I have been unable to work at times during this process due to the trauma and PTSD attacks triggered by knives, blood, and open wounds. My relationships have suffered. My physical and mental health has diminished and my goals for the future have seemingly disappeared. Aiden Fucci didn't just take Tristan's life that day. He took everything from us. Our family, sense of security, laughs, health, and potential. For us, justice does not exist in this case, and closure does not exist in this case. Peace, understanding, and forgiveness will never come. 
The duty of this court today is to determine and weigh all the factors in this case, to decide the just sentence for the crimes Aiden Fucci committed with retribution and potential rehabilitation sadly being considered. The only justifiable, the only justifiable sentence in this case is a full life sentence. Anything short of that would be an insult to not only our justice system and community, but to our family and Tristan's legacy. Lastly, I would like to add my own stone to the 114 that I added for Tristan. This white stone represents my trust in people which died the day that Aiden Fucci chose to kill my sister. Thank you for your time. There's nothing you can say to that. There is. It was, it was so powerful. Yeah, there. That uh, I have no words. Yeah, there's really. There, it's probably anticlimactic, but there really isn't uh, much to say. I just. You right. can feel the rage and the sadness and the emptiness in her voice. Mm -hmm. And I just. Oh, man, it kills me. Deep breath. Deep breath. <sighs> deep breath. Deep breath. So the next to be called to the stand was Tegan Bailey, who is Tristan's older brother. And I'm going to play his impact statement for you now. Your Honor, on Saturday, May 8th, 2021, I came home to spend time with family and to celebrate Mother's Day the following day. When I arrived home that afternoon, we cook, quickly made plans to go to dinner. My dad, mom, Sophia, Tristan, my niece, and I went to dinner. There wasn't a single sign that this would be our last night together, what I believe was Tristan's last meal. Shy of my older sisters, Brittany and Alexis being present, the dinner was perfect. My niece was playing with her food, trying to crawl under the table. We talked about when we lived in Singapore. My dad supplied ample comedy and smiles in a way that only siblings can. Tristan and I silently made a pact and messed with Sophia during dinner, the way only siblings know how to do. It was perfectly imperfect. I would give anything to either stay at the table a few minutes longer or to have had Brittany and Alexis there as well. Following dinner, we visited Alexis and then went home. I went on a late walk with Sophia to reach my exercise goal for the day, which I talked with Tristan about when we got back. Finally, Sophia, Tristan, and I started to watch TV. I began to fall asleep on the couch until I finally excused myself to go to bed. Every single day, I can't help but wonder what would have happened had I slept on that couch instead, or if I had stayed up later. Tristan was a 13-year-old. She had a personality brighter than fireworks, and she was being a teenager. But had I slept on that couch that was in, within earshot of our front door, there's a possibility my little sister could still be alive today. I have lived with that question, that weight, and that guilt since I went to wake up Tristan on Mother's Day and found her room empty. The day we lost Tristan, I began running mentally and emotionally to try to cope and survive. Anytime I slow down every detail of that day, this court process and the memories of Tristan flood my mind and threaten to cripple me. So mentally, I put this all into a box and I run from it. I will run to school, to work, to friends, and at times I ran to alcohol. I was desperate for anything that would numb and convince me that this is not real life, rather a sick and cruel nightmare I can't seem to wake up from. This is real though. My baby sister, who always had a sassy reply ready, 
My heart filled with kindness is gone. The depression, anxiety, and post-traumatic stress disorder is real. The weekly therapy sessions to learn how to cope and make it this far is real. The waves of anxiety I experience when I walk around Durban Crossing at night are real. Every time I see or use a knife, the intrusive thoughts of the damage that they can inflict is real. The nights where sleep is replaced with the heinous details of what Tristan suffered are real. The nights where I drank to black out and put myself in danger are real. The week-long depressive episodes where I break down and struggle to leave my bed are real. The classes I withdrew from because grieving and being a student was too much are real. The breakdowns that erupt from songs that remind me of Tristan are real. Even things as small as a red cardinal bird will bring my day to a stop. There's an old wives tale that when you see a red cardinal, it is someone from heaven checking on you. I can only hope that each one is a sign from Tristan telling me she's still cheering me on. Yet they are each a painful reminder of what I have lost. They are each a reminder of how I failed Tristan. Despite countless reassurances, I continually weather by sleeping on that couch, being at home more, reaching out more, or mailing other things if I may have been able to prevent her death. But no matter how much I may try to run, distract, or numb myself, this is my reality. Reality where aqua and teal fill me with pride, love, and pain. Reality where I am terrified and furious at other teenage boys because a single 14-year-old broke my family. Reality where instead of a cheer trophy, a family portrait, or a million other things, my sister's remains sit on a shelf at home in an aqua urn that glimmers brighter than a star. Reality that is so painful to live in, I continue to run and numb myself to it, trying to escape the pain and reminders of what I have lost. In the process of trying to numb myself and outrun this, I cause myself to lose even more. By not handling my grief, by not handling my grief head on, Academically, I suffered a multitude, I sacrificed a multitude of opportunities within my courses and with professors. Socially, I was alone. While I have an astounding sports system where I live in Gainesville, Tristan's story and her spirit are not as well known there as they are in St. John's. Few are able to understand the hardship of losing a family member, much less losing them to a gruesome homicide. I felt that I became a burden and disconnected from a multitude of people that I once treasured. Despite the fact that these were the very people trying to support me, emotionally I shut down every time I was asked, how are you doing? As there are no words to convey the misery that was born from my grief and my sense of isolation. I would like to address Mr. Aiden Fucci. Today I want to take the time to address whatever humanity you still possess. Since learning of your existence and the agony inflicted upon my family, I convinced myself you were something other than human. I refused to use your name, to believe that you were a regular person. To believe that you were human would be to accept that the darkness that has marked my family could come from ordinary people, something which causes me to lose all hope. So I convinced myself you must be something less than human and that people can still be good. But you are human. Between investigative evidence and individuals in the St. John's community, my family and I have learned more about your life than we ever cared to know. 
Part of this included learning that you have siblings and a younger sister at that. I'm sorry, I lost my place. I have four sisters, two older and two younger sisters, including Tristan. While you may have siblings, I don't believe you know what it means to be a brother. Having siblings is a job, a responsibility, and a privilege. Being a brother to sisters means being there to support them, to listen, to celebrate them, and to be there for them when they're in need, and so much more. You took one of my sisters away from me. I will not get to drive her to cheer, listen to her spill the tea, celebrate her achievements, or spoil her with trips to Starbucks for a double chocolate chip grande frappuccino. If I ever have children, none of them will ever get to meet their aunt. I will never get to brag to others about Tristan's determination and her persistence in pursuing her goals. Because when Tristan had a goal, she accomplished her goal. Because of your actions, I cannot fulfill my role as Tristan's big brother. While I am so fortunate to be blessed with three other amazing and unique sisters who inspire me and remind me of what life has to offer, you took away my baby sister. I want you to think of your own siblings, your own sister. Just as I have lost my sister, they have lost their brother. At the end of this, you will be in prison. They will not get to lean on you for support. You won't be able to celebrate with them or grow old with them. They have lost their brother. You have lost your siblings. You have failed as a brother. My siblings and I didn't just lose a sister. My parents lost a daughter. Tristan's friends lost a goofball who brought a smile by walking into the room. The cheer community lost the teammate who was an unwavering pillar of spirit and perseverance. The world lost a young woman who, after binge watching Grey's Anatomy, became inspired to become a doctor. We lost the chance to see Tristan graduate high school. We lost the chance to see Tristan attend and graduate college. We lost the chance to see Tristan find love and have her own family. Not only do we have to grieve Tristan and her past, we have to grieve the person she did not have a chance to become and everything she never got to do or achieve. Since losing Tristan, I've heard through countless conversations what can happen to her murderer. This court is able to impose between a 40-year sentence up to a life sentence. Several weeks ago, we sat in this building as the court reviewed a motion to limit autopsy photos to be shown during the trial, a trial which we fortunately did not have to go through. Among several things that came out during that hearing, I recall that there were six wounds that had been considered fatal. However, even in shy of these six wounds that my sister suffered, no one would have been able to survive the cumulative 108 other wounds. My sister was stabbed 114 times. 49 of those wounds were defensive. While some, of the, while some may view these as simple facts of the case, these are the thoughts that will plague the mind of Tristan's community, friends, family, and myself for the rest of our lives. Tristan's fought for her life, and my mind has been tormented. My mind has tormented me since with all of the details of what she went through and what she must, must have felt. This is a burden we collectively have to carry for decades to come. In light of this, a life sentence for her murderer seems nearly merciful. His wrongdoings reaped not only the remainder of Tristan's life, but cursed the lives of countless others. 
Why should he be allowed to serve a single sentence while so many others must serve our own sentences because of their choices? If it were possible, I would plead the court to give a harsher sentence than light. But in the light of the current state of the law, I can only hope that he will be given the maximum sentence. I add this stone for the hope and belief I had in people being good that died the day that Aiden Fucci murdered my sister. Uh, again, again, very powerful. Um, it really, it really puts you in the perspective of this family and, and just how damaged they and, are. Right, exactly. Oh man. Yeah, I told you it's ex it's excruciatingly heavy. I there is no way that I could ever imagine going through what this family has went through. See, I'd end up going to jail. Because I'd get up there and read my impact statement and then walk around like I'm just going to. And then you'd get his ass. And then get his ass. And then get his ass. You said, if I'm going down, I'm taking you with me. If, if my sister's going down, I'm going down. You know, like. like I'm telling I'm, you. I am taking his ass out. Like the Taking him out. <laughs> the composure these people had. Because, you know, obviously. Yeah, I wouldn't have been able to even get that far. And you have to, you know, it's obvious information, but while they're giving these statements, Aiden Fucci is sitting on the other side of the room. I they're, know. They're literally I looking know, at and him. That's, and it's, I, I couldn't. I couldn't. I couldn't. Like, could you imagine if someone murdered your family member and you have to sit there and look at them? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I am no longer in control of my actions. Safety pending. Safety pending. <laughs> so. After Tegan Bailey, the next to be called to the stand was Brittany Bailey, Tristan's oldest sister. She's the oldest child of the Bailey siblings. Okay. And I'm going to play her impact statement for you guys now. Your Honor, my name is Brittany Bailey Russell, and I am Tristan's oldest sibling. When I was told we had the opportunity to write an impact statement, I immediately got to work. Writing comes natural to me, but I knew the importance this, this statement would hold, and I knew I needed more time than any piece I had written in the past. For months, I have attempted to put pen to paper to express the magnitude of this catastrophe we face every second of every day. Yet every time I met with complete writer's block. Not the kind of writer's block where you have nothing to say, but the kind of writer's block where you cannot find words impactful enough to describe the devastation this has caused on my family. Your Honor, I could stand up here today and tell you what little I can remember from May 9th, 2021 how I was on day one of my honeymoon with my husband and woke up to an alarming call from my sister Alexis saying, brace yourself, we can't find Tristan. We're about to post it on social media. I could express the sense of darkness and terror I felt just being over 1900 miles away from my panic struck family, feeling absolutely helpless that I could not search comfort or engage with my squad, as Tristan would put it. I could even go into great detail about the blood curdling and excruciating screams that ejected from my dad's lungs, the bottom of his lungs, while my husband and I sat on the other end of that FaceTime call, crumbling to the MGM hotel room floor, sobbing our eyes out, praying to God the news of where Tristan was, wasn't our biggest fear. 
And if the court really wants to hear the most graphic of it all, I could tell you about the days to follow when I heard the fatal wail that bursted from my mom in the other room when Detective Hannon delivered the news to just my parents on how Tristan died that Mother's Day. I wasn't even privy to the no at that point, but the crippling sound that my mom let out, I knew it was something unimaginable. I remember this torturous feeling that took over my body as I ran to the bathroom, slamming the door, banging both hands on the wall, screaming, why, how? How is this happening? I didn't stop until my dad ran in, grabbed me, hugged me, and kept telling me, be brave for your mom. Do it for your mom. As later we learned that friend Tristan thought she had ambushed our youngest Bailey by stabbing her 114 times, over and over and over, to the point where you know, we all know, she fought her fight and had nothing left in her body to give. And yet he continued like an absolute coward. You, Aiden Fucci, decided to overpower a five foot three innocent 13 year old girl. How much more of a coward could you possibly be? Those feelings that took over my body that day, I could go my whole life without feeling again. I can promise you one thing, I do not ever want to be that brave in my lifetime yet. Here I am, standing in front of this courtroom, exposing my vulnerability, peeling back layers of my PTSD in this unsafe and very overwhelming environment. While I sit here publicly reliving tad bits of our worst nightmare, I recognize that none of these horrific memories will bring Tristan back. It truly just pains me more to have to relive them to talk about it, to feel those feelings all over again like it happened yesterday. What I can confidently express to the court is since my sister's murder, I agonize at the thought of leaving Florida for travel, something that was once engraved in my DNA. I lack prioritizing my husband, and I carelessly watch my marriage crumble before my eyes. I now carry emergency medication to control the unexpected tightening of the chest and inability to breathe, something doctors call post-traumatic stress disorder. I spend two hours every Sunday morning with our family therapist a day that used to be Bailey Family Fun Day on Sunday. I struggle with mental health expenses and impulse buying in hopes to find control something my husband and I were not financially prepared for. I've lost clients due to the inability to work. I rely on my vehicle as a safe place to release the uncontrollable rage that takes over my body. I fight my emotions in my own household in hopes my four-year-old daughter doesn't try to console me, her mother, something no toddler should ever feel compelled to do. I find my husband more times than not peeling me up off our closet floor, drenched in my own tears. I've lost count of how many glasses I've shattered over the anger that's unbearable. I look at myself in the mirror and I don't recognize the person I am anymore. My weight, my happiness, my skin, my personality, my love for life, all gone. My sister was robbed of what could have been an incredible future. Imagine growing up in a household of seven, traveling the world for my dad's job, relying on each other as best friends because we only had each other during all of those moves, 
meeting friends who became family across the globe, and having the most loving and supporting parents you could ever ask for. Just for perspective, I'm a hairstylist, and my parents opened a salon in St. John's County. Alexis has a passion for animals, and my parents openly allowed her zoo to live under their roof. Tegan's draw to coffee and books at University of Florida enticed him to continue on to grad school, which my parents could not be more proud of. Sophia, our lacrosse all-star, was just accepted to Colorado Mesa University to play goalie, and once again, my parents could not be more on board, even though this means there are two flights between their child and them. And as for Tristan, cheerleading was her life, and because it was her life, it was my mom's life too. My parents have sacrificed their needs and wants for their children for 30 years. I've never met such selfless people. And to think one of the five of us won't get to see that fully through? Your Honor, I can't put a word to it. Agony isn't painful enough. Shattered to the core doesn't crumble like how I feel. Infuriated doesn't even come close to touching the amount of rage I find myself trapped in. And let me tell you, justice is just a word for comfort. It doesn't bring her back. It doesn't allow her to see if she would have made worlds or become a college cheerleader. It does nothing but put this inhumane, cold-blooded killer away for good. I ask you to remember how much my sister lost and will continue to lose as the years pass by because of one vile decision this ruthless, unremorseful villain made. His apology was a waste of oxygen and meant nothing. It was cold, it was callous, and it was disheartening, and it left my family feeling absolutely tormented. Once again, a word not pungent enough to express the degree of what we felt, but it's the best the dictionary could offer. In Tristan's name, I will fight till the end to make sure my children, my siblings, my family, and our community will never see Aiden Fucci in society again. I res respectfully ask for you to do the same. This white stone represents my loss in faith in our school systems to keep violent children away from the innocent. We are forever Tristan Bailey strong. Thank you. Well, Gage, if you were trying to shut me up, all you had to do was say so. <laughs> <laughs> Bitch, I'm telling you, the amount of detachment that is going on right now for me to hold my shit together is real. <laughs> it is very real. Oh, I'm sharing that with you right now. Because as we sit here and we listen to every single testimony, I am just like more and more and more enraged and moved and just... um. I don't want this to sound insensitive, but I want to say impressed right. because not only the awareness that they had to be able to be so vulnerable in letter form. It's insane. It really is. And then to be able to read that in front of her murderer without just completely breaking down or having an outburst of some sort you know and... I, I couldn't imagine it's like i said way earlier this family possesses a strength that is just oh yeah and they're definitely just... showing their power right now it's like otherworldly they... it really truly is <sighs> so 
All right, what's the next one? Goodness. (laughs) Goodness. Lastly, we have Stacey Bailey's impact statement. It's excruciating, just like the rest of them have been, but it's, you know, very powerful as well. I I don't know, man. I have the feeling that this is going to be the one to break me. It probably will. I was just about to say on the note of you being a mom. Yeah. And you having that way of relation that I don't have. It's definitely going to leave an impression on you. It it for sure left a hell of an impression on me. It is just, I've said it a million times, the love and unity that this family has is just insane. And my condolences, again, go out to each and every person that has been affected by Tristan's death. With my entire heart, I mean that. So let's go ahead and listen to Stacy's impact statement. I'm going to play that for you now. Your Honor, I am Stacy Bailey. I am Tristan Time Bailey's mother, or as her friends called her, T. Not many know what Forrest and I faced during our pregnancy with Tristan. We were moving to another country, Singapore, when I found out I was expecting another child. To say the least, it was a surprise as we thought we were done after having four children. I was terrified to be pregnant in a foreign country, but soon found myself with amazing medical care. I was put into a high-risk category, and I had a high-risk doctor because we were told that Tristan potentially had Down syndrome. And then it got worse from there as they found a spot or potentially a hole in her heart. We faced every day wondering if she would be okay. The fear was constant, which was incredibly difficult on my family. We prayed every day that she would be okay. But never once did we ever question that she was wanted and loved no matter what. Our prayers were answered when she came into this world with no signs of a spot on her heart and she did not have Down syndrome. In time, we learned that Tristan's heart was stronger than most, and it would be a gift that she would share with the world. We soon learned that she was a child that needed to be front and center from day one. Tristan Dine had an incredibly loud, she was incredibly loud from the get-go. She never really cried. It was more like a scream, ear-piercing at times. Growing up in Singapore for the first four years of her life was amazing. Her siblings and her had an incredibly close bond. But she had a bond with me that was unbreakable. Forrest used to say, nobody else seems to matter except for you, Stacy." She was always a very social child, always striving to do the best in every aspect of her life. She joined the cheer world at a very young age and pushed herself to be the best that she could be while always encouraging others. At school, she had excellent grades and had many friends. One of the things that stood out to me the most was how she fiercely protected others from being bullied. Tristan truly had a heart of gold. For me, I have always loved being a mother and vowed endlessly to love, teach, and protect my children. I spent so many weeks traveling with Tristan for cheer over the years. I was lucky enough to have a lot of one-on-one time with her. 
During these times, we would have conversations about friends, school, the good, the bad. I will never forget, a conver forget conversations about one boy in particular who was always getting in trouble in her class for years. I always ended the conversation with, just be kind to him. He probably needs friends. He probably doesn't have many. Little did I know that, that she did that over the years. At Tr Tristan's celebration of life, a boy waited in a long line of people to speak with me. To be honest with you, he's the only thing I really remember from that day. Everything else are just brief flashes of memories. He waited for so long to speak with me, and the tears poured out of his face. His words still resonate with me to today. He said, she was my best friend. She was my only friend. I spent more than a month trying to figure out who this boy was. It turned out to be the same boy that we had talked about so often. At that moment, I knew just how extra special my daughter was and how she truly learned a valuable lesson of just be kind. I will treasure these moments and lessons taught for the rest of my life. I, however, failed in one lesson. I did not know that I needed to teach Tristan to be afraid of the evil in her own school to be cautious and fearful of the people you think are your friends. Aiden Fuchi, you betrayed us all. I have seen the traumatic impact of Aiden's horrific actions and how they have affected all that knew and loved Tristan. I have watched her friends become afraid to go to school and fearful of who they could and could not trust. I have watched the depression the PTSD, the anxiety take over so many. Worse than anything, some of these feelings go so deep that several kids have tried to take their own lives from this incident. I carry the weight of this on my shoulders every single day. The guilt eats away at me. While I know it is not my weight to bear, it doesn't change the fact that I feel this. I feel that I have to protect and be there for each of her friends to let them know how much they mean to me. Aiden Fucci has destroyed so many lives by his vicious choice to take my child's life. I want to bring you to the weekend of Mother's Day, May 9th, 2021. It was Friday night, and we were preparing for an event at our business. Tristan came to me asking me if she could go to Food Truck Friday because all of her friends were, were going from school. I immediately said no because of our work event, and I could not go with her. You see, she had only gone one other time, and I was not willing to let her go without supervision. She begged to go with one of her friends that I had not met but said that I could meet her parents as they would be watching over her. I agreed that if I met the parents and felt comfortable, I would consider letting her go. 
I drove to her friend's house, I met the mom, and we agreed that the girls could go as the dad would be taking them and bringing Tristan home too. It was reassuring to meet another family who had the same parenting style as us. This night is where the weekend starts to crumble in hindsight. You see, Your Honor, many kids that night planned to sneak out, not thinking anything could go wrong. They just thought they were going to be having fun and hanging out together. Saturday night arrives. It was just a normal day around our house. I can remember Sophia and Tristan planning what they were going to be making me for a surprise breakfast that next day, Mother's Day. They asked me to stay in my room until it was ready. Later that day, we went to dinner, and then we went to see our daughter Alexis and her new litter of Sphinx kittens. We didn't stay long because we were all tired. How I wish I had never gone to bed and stayed up longer. The next morning, Sophia prepared breakfast by herself, as Tristan never came down to help. Needless to say, my Mother's Day morning was soon filled with panic as my son informed us that Tristan was not in her room as he went to tell her it was time for breakfast. I thought to myself, this can't be. She must be in the bathroom or her sister's room. I immediately ran up upstairs to indeed find she was gone. We all frantically were yelling for her and running through the house with no reply from our precious daughter. Forrest yelled for me to call the police, and this is where our nightmare went into full force. My heart was pounding with every second that passed, pleading with the police to help me. We soon found our friends, or we soon found ourselves calling our friends on the phone, using social media, and yelling in the streets for anyone to help us. How could this be? This crazy thing of social media is there is always a trail, and we knew within an hour who Tristan was last with. I thank God for that trail, even though I find some of social media to be the bane of my existence. The minutes turned into hours of not knowing where our daughter was. I called her phone, as so many did, for it just to go to voicemail. Everything that happened that day is a blur. I do know that there were so many people trying to help find our daughter. Our community was there for us it and completely put their Mother's Day plans aside. At some point around 2 o'clock in the afternoon is when my mother saw a dragonfly. And she said to me, Stacy, look, it's good luck. They're going to find her. Unfortunately, I shoved my mother as hard as I could and started yelling at her. Because in that moment, I knew my child was not coming home. I tried desperately to apologize for pushing her, but it was such an uncontrollable moment. You see, when my father passed away, I was surrounded by dragonflies and it has soon become a symbol of my guardian angel. Four more agonizing hours passed before I found myself sitting in our home with, in our home with family and several detectives, 
We waited for the news that could have never, we waited for the news that we could have never been prepared for, pleading to God to not let this happen to my family and to not take our baby girl away from us. I cannot tell you all the details of what happened when we went inside as my brain has hidden them in my memory somewhere deep inside. I have very few memories of that day. Your Honor, what I'd like to do is share one night from a recent journal of mine this past month. It's 1.05 a.m. My eyes pop open in fear and I try to orient myself as to where I am or if I am safe. I walk myself from the couch to my bedroom and try to get some more sleep. It's 2.05 a.m. Again, startled awake. It's 3 a.m. I'm startled awake again, as I am every night, multiple times a night. My head is pounding in pain. My thoughts are racing. My anxiety is high. My chest is tight. The thoughts immediately start. The time tells me that it's over. Tristan lost her life by now. Visions flood my head how terrified she must have been. What went wrong in that moment of betrayal from someone she thought was her friend? Did she know it was coming? Did you wait for her back to be turned? The second, the, the first strike of the knife, the fearful shock she must have had, the second strike, what is happening? I can only imagine she tries desperately to fight him off. Why is this happening? He continues to strike over and over and over as she continues to fight. My chest pain goes, grows tighter and the tears are now flowing. Was she screaming for help? Did she try to reach for her phone to call for help? Tristan's desperation to live and get away from him continues until he overpowers my child. He continues stabbing her even when there is no fight left. These visions are embedded in my mind. Her beautiful blonde hair, her smile, her irresistible laughter have all been snuffed out. The guilt I have that I was not there to protect Tristan plagues me. My thoughts continue and I cannot get it out of my head about the pain Tristan felt. I think about how one small slip of a knife I caught my finger while cutting fruit and it hurt so much that I almost fainted. I pray she passed out. But honestly, with the amount of defense wounds, I know she did not. She fought and our beautiful daughter suffered for so long as he took no mercy in the 114 times you stabbed her. My heart is pounding so hard now, I think it could come out of my chest. Oh my God, please tell me this is a bad dream. Tell me that I will wake up from this horrific nightmare. The pins and needles have started in my head. The trauma migraine is here. They always come. I beg and plead with myself to just stop thinking for five minutes so that the pain goes away. It only increases until sharp stabbing pains take over my head, which can bring me to my knees and screaming in pain. This is my new normal every day, all day. My new life, sentenced to the torture of my child being murdered. Please stop thinking, just go to bed, just for a few moments to relieve the pain. 
It's now 3.46. I try to close my eyes, but it only lasts for a brief moment as the fear is overwhelming. The darkness scares me. What is waiting to harm me out there? Will I ever have peace? No. How can I without Tristan? It's 4.15 a.m. Sirens are going off that send me running to the living room only to find out it was on the TV. The panic is now starting to elevate to the point I can't control my anxiety. Images race through my mind of the helicopters, the police sirens, the bloodhounds, and worse of all, the police asking me to come in my house. I remember falling to my knees, begging them not to go not to take me go inside, not to make me go inside. I knew that that meant she was never coming home at that horrific moment. The darkness of the night surrounds me, and I live in constant fear of what might harm the rest of my family. A memory flashes and enters my mind as Detective Hannah knocked on my door at 3.40 in the morning that night to let us know that an arrest had been made. God, please make this stop. Wake me up from this nightmare. I want to run and find Tristan, but then I am met with the reality she has gone. Am I losing my mind? This cannot be real. I question God. Why, oh why, did you not protect her? How could you let evil touch her? Why, God, why? This is my sleep pattern every single night for 97 weeks. Sleep deprivation, it's finest. The sleep deprivation is taking a toll on me mentally and physically. I do not recognize the person looking at me in the mirror. How I wish it was someone else. The sleepless nights bring black circles under my eyes and the swelling from the constant tear and the stress have aged me beyond my years. I have memory loss and I live in constant brain fog. Trying to put complete thoughts together can be very challenging. I now suffer from pins and needles in my head many times a day, along with chronic migraines. My hair is breaking and falling out due to all of the stress and anxiety. The PTSD from Mother's Day has had many Im impacts. I run into my house at the first sign of a helicopter or sirens, and I now have a genuine fear of being outside in the dark. I check my children's location multiple times a day just to know that they are where they are in case something happens to them. Seeing police cars can send me into a panic thinking that something is terribly wrong. The depression can be debilitating at times, and I feel like my life has spun out of control. My home, which was once where we all gathered in comfort, is now a place of hurt that Tristan is no longer there. The door to her room remains closed. It is exactly as she left it. Her bed is unmade. Her bath towel she used on May 8th is at the foot of her bed. The suitcase is still packed from the weekend before when we attended Summit with Infinity All-Star Cheer. I can't bear to change one thing, not even washing her clothes in the hamper as it would wash away the scent of her Many times I find our cat who knows how to open Tristan's door in her room as if she's just waiting for her to return. I do not know if we will ever have comfort in our home again. My children were once full of life and laughter and now they are full of despair, anger, depression, PTSD, and anxiety.
Bailey Family Fun Day was every Sunday in our home, a day where we would all come together and have a meal and spend time together. Sunday will never be the same for us as we have a missing link in our family. The Sunday of May 9th, 2021 has made us dread every Sunday. How will it ever be whole again? <clears throat> Aiden Fucci, you have destroyed me. You have destroyed my family. You have destroyed Tristan's friends. You have destroyed the community that we live in. You have caused a divide amongst friends and neighbors that should have never been. You have taken away my baby girl, my past, my present, my future, by your calculated vile actions. I will never be able to watch her perform on stage with her cheer team. I will never see her win Summit or Worlds. I will never have our special weekends away just the two of us. She will not be able to graduate high school or college. And her father will never be able to walk her down the aisle at her wedding. You have taken this all away from us. I will never understand the heinous choice you made that day or why my kind daughter was the one that you chose. I will spend the rest of my life grieving our beautiful daughter, longing to hear her voice and hold her in my arms. Aiden Fucci, your deplorable actions are unforgivable, and I will pray every day that you stay in prison for the rest of your life and never be able to harm anyone else in this world again. Your Honor, I plead with you. Please consider everything that he has done to our daughter and to our family. Aiden Fucci made a heinous decision on May 9th. 2021 and took the very life that I brought into this world. Please do not for one second think that he could be rehabilitated at any point. He is beyond saving. He should have to pay for his crime against my daughter. Justice is an empty word for our family as it can never bring Tristan back, but justice is for society. And he should have life without, for, without parole. Thank you for everything that you've done in this case. And I know that you have really hard choices in front of you. I'm going to be placing two rocks into to this. This rock, this white stone, is for her sister, Sophia who will never have the opportunity to be a big sister again, and you stole that from her. This last one is for me. And it represents everything that you have stolen from me. My words, my joy, my hope, my future, and my beautiful daughter. both crying yeah um so this is a first you guys uh we're both crying we're both crying <laughs> wow fucking christ 
Fucking Christ, fucking Christ, fucking when Christ. When she started talking about her waking up repeatedly and, and startled. Oh, fuck. Fuck, fuck, fuck. Yeah, there was... There's the no, mother's intuition is like... Too much. Too much, it's, I, We said it... I believe we actually said it. It was either in the Skylar Niece episode. I can't remember if it was or not, but there was an episode where we specifically covered how that mother's intuition was just nothing to fuck with. Oh, we covered it in Greenbrier Ghost. Yeah. When we covered Zona. Yeah. Yeah, that mother's intuition is absolutely a force to be reckoned with. Absolutely. Oh Holy shit, I'm sorry you guys. We're <laughs> sniffling. We're so, we're so sniffling. We should have t- we should have took a second. We should have took a second before recording this. Is, this, is, this is real though. This, this is, is real. Like this is raw. This, this is, is real. Raw. This is real. This unfiltered. Is, unfiltered unedited you know oh this my is God. just being human is what that is like i just don't the, know how you can listen to any of that and not be moved to tears it's just yeah not only the savagery again like i this said crime, if you but... wanted me to shut up that's all you had to do was say <laughs> ray shut up you said baby there's a hundred ways to make me cry you didn't have to do this you, <laughs> didn't, you didn't have to do you didn't have to do us like that Oh, man, I needed the laugh. Holy shit. Okay. Okay, moving along. Uh, All of the impact statements made for an extremely emotional day in the court. Everyone was moved greatly by the testimony of Tristan's family. And after three days, on Friday, March 24th, 2023, Judge R. Lee Smith handed down Aiden's sentence. But before he did, he directly addressed the Bailey family in this statement. Uh, let me address um, the Bailey family, uh, as well as the uh, friends who have were here today and who have also been here throughout the, these proceedings. <clears throat> the, um, the loss in which you have clearly suffered is, um, is unimaginable. The uh, court was certainly moved by the uh, words and the victim impact statements that uh, were presented earlier this week. Uh, I um, have been through these types of proceedings numerous times. Uh, Sometimes family members hope or expect that whatever the sentence is uh, that somehow or another that's going to heal or provide closure. And I just want to warn you that it's not. It's not how it works. No matter what sentence this court imposes today, it cannot heal you. I cannot bring her back. I cannot um, provide a, a closure to this. It may close a chapter of this, but it will not close this for you. You still have a lot of healing to do. And I certainly am not going to take the place of any of your counselors or therapists. But my advice to you is simply this. Understand that the healing process takes time. And you have to move through the stages. And you have to allow each other to move through the stages at your own pace. 
comfort each other, but understand that some of you may reach different phases of this healing process sooner than others. Um, your daughter and your sister are obviously, her body is no longer present on this earth. However, her spirit lives on through each and every one of you. From what this court can tell, she was a quite a energetic, happy child. Um, some of you testified to the um, the fact that when you learned of her death, that part of you died as well. And what I would suggest is that you fill that void with her spirit and her life that certainly lives on through each and every one of you. Allow. Bailey Sunday fun days to return to your home. Allow laughter to return to your home because in depriving yourselves of that, frankly, you're continuing, uh, it would continue to victimize Tristan because that's not what she would want. She would want that happiness and the laughter to return and the joking between her siblings. That's what she, that's what she would truly want. You have to try to let go of some of the anger that you still feel. I think that's a big part of this process for you. Mr. Bailey, I want to address something that you mentioned, um, and that was the, uh, the process of this, uh, these court proceedings. Um, I know it's been a long 22 months uh, for your family as well as for this community. Um, justice at times can move a little bit slowly for those who... Uh, are thrust into it. Um, for those of us who practice it and live it and work it every day, I assure you that there are constitutional safeguards that are in place in this country and they're there for a very important reason. And sometimes that takes time to work through that process. And that can be frustrating, it can be agonizing at times. But we strive to make sure that we get things right the first time and that we do things the proper way and I appreciated your comments, and I appreciated the patience that your family and the community has shown to the court system. These attorneys have worked diligently. They have had uh, on both sides. They have, um, this is not their only case, sadly. Uh, this is the only courtroom in all of St. Johns County with over 300,000 people who now live in, uh, in this community. We have one felony courtroom. So every felony, every murder, it takes place in this courtroom. And these attorneys are assigned to cases throughout this circuit. Um, I trust and I believe that they have done a diligent job in this case. And um, again, I, I recognize that it can certainly take some time and I appreciate the, the patience that you've shown and I hope that you understand the necessity and making sure that things are done the proper way. I really like how the judge told them that, you know, things like the Bailey family Sunday needs to come back and laughter needs to come back. Right. It because... was incredibly moving for him to address them like that. You, yeah. You can not to like cut off your point, oh, no, no, no. but you can really tell that this was a case that affected him. Like Deeply. truly because yeah. he, presided over the entire thing he saw the photos of tristan when she was found stabbed to death 
in the fucking grass near her home. Right. He saw her autopsy photos. He went through all of these doctors' testimonies and the defense, the prosecution, all of the grisly details of this case. He presided over all of it, and you can just tell that he was incredibly moved and deeply yeah. affected by it. Like, it's it's something. It's something to note. But continue your point, though. Right. I want to no, hear what I you were saying. I was just going to say that, like, the point that he's making about, you know, the court's processes, he is right. That even though Aiden has done what he's done, he still is, whether we like it or not, he still has his own human rights. Right. right. We may hate that, right? Right. We may, we may villainize him and, and monstrousize him. Monstrousize, is that a word? I honestly don't know, but if it's not, <laughs> I like it. Excuse me. But, um, yeah, monstrousize. If that's not a word, I'm making it a word. But... <laughs> You turn these people into monsters to further distance yourself from them. And we've talked about that before. Right. But, I mean, obviously, the the family, obviously, has a reason right, on why right. they feel that way. Right, And I'm right. not diminishing that. And I just hate it because you can tell, as the judge is speaking, that he has to be completely unbiased. And for him to make that statement to the family, that's a really big thing because... You know, at some point, people are going to start to question where his unbiasedness ends. You right, know? right. So it's just, it's a very difficult situation for judges to be in. And I'm just really happy that he took the time as a gentle reminder to let them know that, like, no, she's not going to come back. And there's nothing that I can do, sentence-wise, that'll bring her back. Right. But you, you can, need to heal. You can keep her alive right. in spirit. And your family can heal and you can have your uh, Bailey Sunday fun days and you can laugh and of bring, and bring life back. Same. No, it, it will of never course. be the same. But just that fact that he respected them and felt their pain enough to just kind of remind them, you know, hey, life is going to continue and Tristan would want the laughter and the happiness amongst her parents and her siblings to return. I, I just thought that was incredibly moving. You don't hear judges speak like that, or at least I sure as fuck haven't. And right. I just thought it was incredibly moving. As um, if she was known for saying like, get it together. Right. You that know? was, that was Tristan's thing. Get it together, mom. Get it together, mom. <laughs> so after that statement, judge R. Lee Smith handed down his sentence. Aiden Fucci, now 16 years old, was sentenced to life imprisonment with the possibility of review after 25 years. I would submit that this case is probably the most difficult and shocking case that this county in St. John's County has, has dealt with. In the 20 years that I have been, or 16 years that I have been practicing law and um, the 30 years that I have lived and worked in this all of Northeast Florida, this case is, is one of only a very small few that uh, had this level and this type of impact on the, on the community. This court gives this factor great weight. As to the last two remaining factors, 
the effect, if any, of immaturity, impetuosity, or failure to appreciate the risks and consequences of the defendant's participation in the offense, and the effect of the crime, excuse me, and the nature and circumstances of the offense committed by the defendant. These uh, factors are uh, somewhat combined. One hundred and fourteen stab wounds, forty-nine defensive wounds, thirty-five wounds to the head and neck, twenty-nine to the back and shoulder, and six fatal wounds. This court has reviewed and seen more than its fair share of autopsy photos. The autopsy photos in this particular case were particularly difficult. The forty-nine defensive wounds indicate that. Tristan Bailey was conscious that she was aware and that she was doing everything she could to fend off this attack. She suffered a painful, horrifying death from someone that she trusted. Her screams were most likely stifled by her own suffocating lungs. He lured her into a secluded place in the woods near his home, a person that she trusted, and he led her there under false pretenses. There was a heightened level of premeditation in this case. Based on the prior statements that he made to his girlfriend and his friend, he indicated that he was going to kill someone at which point he determined that it was going to be Tristan Bailey, I don't know. But there was going to be a victim. He indicated that he was going, how he was going to do it, that he would take them into a wooded place, that he would stab them, he would kill them and then run away so that he could keep on killing. He told his best friend that he wanted to kill someone to see what it felt like and he wanted to watch them bleed out. This particular crime was committed with the weapon of choice as a knife, which he nicknamed poker. That required a up-close, personal, type of murder that is rare, it's unique. The court accepts that in 2019 of all juvenile arrests only 7% were violent and only 1% of those were homicides. This crime is clearly an outlier and it was shocking and it is shocking to the conscious. This court finds that the defendant's participation in this offense was not the result of immaturity or impetuosity. He understood the risks and consequences of his actions. He previously told his girlfriend that he was going to do this. That clearly shows that he had been planning it. He attempted to cover it up by 
disposing of the murder weapon and throwing it into a lake. He then attempted to conceal evidence by hiding his shoes and shirt and jeans, taking a shower, stealthily entering his home, and then the actions immediately after with the Snapchat videos in the back of the police car and the story that he made up about pushing her and her hitting her head, which was clearly refuted by the video evidence in this case. All of that shows, and this court finds, that this was not an immature or an impetuous type of crime. It makes it unique. It makes it extraordinary. What is also very troubling is that this crime had no motive. This was not done out of, out of greed. It was not done in retaliation, retribution, or revenge. It was not a crime of passion. It was not a crime that was committed because he felt rejected by her. It was not done in, an, in a fit of uncontrollable anger. There was no reason. There was no purpose. It was done for no other reason than to satisfy this defendant's internal desire to feel what it was like to kill someone. It was committed in a cold, calculated, and premeditated manner without any pretense for moral or legal justification, and it was heinous, atrocious, and cruel. This factor and this factor alone makes this case and this defendant more than just unique. It is for this reason and all of the reasons previously stated that leads this court to the conclusion that there is only one appropriate sentence in this case. Mr. Fucci, if you and your attorneys would please rise. Counsel, is there any legal reason why this court cannot impose sentence at this time? No, sir. Mr. Fucci, having entered a plea of guilty to the crime of first-degree murder, I adjudicate you guilty of the premeditated first-degree murder of Tristan Bailey. I sentence you to life in prison. Because of your age, you are eligible for a review of the sentence in 25 years. I order the Department of Corrections to notify you when you are eligible to apply for your review hearing. Madam Clerk, if you will please impose the minimum fines and court costs. Mr. Fucci, you have 30 days to appeal the legality of this court's sentence. If you wish to appeal but cannot afford an attorney, one will be appointed for you. You will be taken back to the, Saint, or to the Duval County Jail and then transported into the Florida State Prison System. We are adjourned. Just the way that he was like, we are adjourned. Like, <laughs> right. he's like, I'm so sick of looking at you. <laughs> I would be too. Jesus, fuck. So, yeah, Aiden got sentenced to life, and he's going to have a review in 25 years, but he was given a life sentence. Well, that's Good. okay, because you know what's going to happen? Us and all the Gore family, we're going to remember. Oh, and yeah. in 25 years, we're going to sign that petition. We're going to keep him in there. Do whatever we need to do to help, right? Right. Because 
that's what the family deserves is our support. Hashtag Tristan Bailey Strong. 1,000%, you guys. Tristan Bailey Strong. And remember, good old Crystal Smith, Aiden's mom. Uh-huh. I told you not to forget about her. Oh, I didn't. <laughs> because she would I come didn't. back around. I mean, okay, let me clarify. When I said something earlier... <laughs> I said something earlier. Now, I, w- I was like, you know what? If it was my kid, I would probably do it too. But, 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 but. I'd be that kind of mom to be like, oh, you did that? You attacked them? It wasn't in self-defense? Well, guess what? I'm turning you in. <laughs> right. And but, that's what you should do. But, you know, if it's your child and it's in self-defense and they kill somebody, what clothes? Well, that, <laughs> I'm said, sorry. What clothes? You said what clothes? But yeah, this uh, as we've seen at this point, in the episode 100 percent was not a case of self defense. At it was all. not. It was not. Uh, and, and I, it's shocking as a mother knowing. Well, looking at the clothes, you have to know. You have to. He had to have been covered in blood. He was. And looking at the clothes, you know, I'm sure that she was like, "Oh my god." What happened? But the fact that she went to go, like, whether you know the context exactly in that moment of what he did or didn't do, you find bloody pants that are your child's and your first reaction. Oh, not only do you find your son's bloody pants, you know there's a missing neighbor girl and you find bloody pants. Oh, shit. Yeah, because Aiden was being questioned when she did this. I was saying, oh, shit, because I didn't think about that factor. Yeah, Aiden was already being questioned for Tristan's disappearance when she was washing his jeans. Oh, motherfucker, if I was your mom, you'd be so turned in. So it's like Aiden went to get questioned because he was a suspect in this girl's... uh, and here and you this are girl's washing bloody clothes. And okay. then she goes and tries to cover See, his ass. Thank you for putting it into perspective for me. I probably should have, uh, you know. Bitch, what's up? <laughs> <laughs> you said, what's up? Well, Crystal, she did come back around uh, in March of this year. She changed her plea from not guilty to no contest for the charge of tampering with evidence. And on May 12th, 2023, she was found guilty and sentenced to serve. 30 days in the St. John's County Jail and then five years probation, which I think that's way too light of a sentence considering she tried to help her son cover up a brutal fucking murder. But, you know, it's not for me to judge. Ultimately, I just hope that the Bailey family feels some sort of justice from the court's ruling, if possible. That's all I hope. If that can even be found, I hope that they're at peace with it. And, you know, know, if the same thing happens... Like with what happened with Skylar Niece and our show. If the Baileys are listening right now, or anyone who knows the Baileys, our hearts, we are extremely affected by this. We are extremely moved by the story. We wanted to use our platform as a paragon of good to speak. We just want you to know that the support is definitely there. Right. We we definitely... Support you guys and our deepest we will, condolences. We will sign whatever petition you need. You know, we will do our very best to be there. Absolutely. We are 100% a Tristan Bailey Strong podcast. And that concludes my coverage of the murder of Tristan Bailey. I hate you. 
You hate me. I made you cry. I made me cry. We were crying. Crying in the club. Crying. <laughs> like, absolutely. This, I'm really happy that I finally sat down and took the time to put this episode together because it's been weighing on me so heavily since it happened. Yeah. You know, I've said it like a hundred times throughout this episode, but I've have followed this case from since it happened till the sentencing trial this year. And it's just, oh my goodness, the weight and the urge that I had to cover this episode yeah. and give it the most tenderness and most care that I could possibly give i don't even know if that sentence was grammatically correct but whatever you get the gist right. i'm very happy that i finally put this together this was a story that for sure needed to be told right like absolutely i have i don't know it's one of those cases because we do cover true crime and all cases are horrible all murder cases ripple effect into tragedy and unimaginable loss and grieving and all of these horrible things but at least for me and my research, you do come across some cases that will just stick with you a little more profoundly than others. And this one, Tristan's case, was for sure one of those cases for me. I just... I was following along the Murdoch murders. Which you may need to cover soon. That would that would be an interesting oh, one. Oh, yes. Yes, it is in the works to cover sometime soon. <laughs> that shit blows my mind. Truly blows my mind. So... I think that's it for today, you guys. This is a pretty long episode. If you've stuck around the whole time, then hell thank yeah. You. Thank you. Thank you very much. We're glad to see you here at the end. <laughs> <laughs> and we do hope that you enjoyed the coverage today for sure. If you would like to follow me and Ray and all of our weird. Well, we got great news for you. You can definitely do that. Find us on Facebook at gore report a true crime podcast on instagram at gore report podcast and twitter at gore report and don't forget our email guys gore report pod at gmail.com totally send us an email if you feel like it <laughs> so i don't have like a funny little rant for you guys today like, after hearing all of that, I just don't have it. <laughs> but what I can tell you is that Aiden Fucci better hope he never gets out. He right. better hope he never gets out. I hope he stays right where shit. he's at. You're a piece of shit. You're the biggest piece of shit on this earth. You have no fucking right to breathe any of the air. Any of it. Purified or non-purified. I don't care. None of it. We will forever be hashtag... Tristan Bailey Strong. And until next time, bye! bye. Are you afraid of